Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode 150. Today we're being joined for a second time by Dylan of Schnook Canine up in Canada. Let's get him on. Jeez. <laughs> knock over that computer. Yeah. What's good, man? What's going, guys? Oh, you know, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, that's what we all say. Right. You guys been busy? Yeah, dude. Fur dad, I like it. We uh, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> yeah, the mug. Yeah, yeah. Just got up here to to start this podcast and realized that we like totally shifted around our table and haven't yeah. done a virtual one since. <laughs> so we have like all these like mic stands like yeah, twisted that- in like every direction right now. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, what's happening? How you doing? Good, good. We've been we've been busy too. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been good. Things have been busy with us. Um, yeah, I just got back from Vegas. Had a little bit of a vacation, so just getting back from there. Um, yeah. Just kind of settling back into things here. Were you? You um, said you were there for a vacation, or were you there for like the school stuff? No, it was a vacation. Yeah, basically vacation. We went to a. Do you know what a Shot Show is? So you familiar with that? Mm, it sounds it's familiar. The shoot, but it's no. the shooting hunting shooting hunting and outdoor trade show so it's a oh, big God. trade show they do in vegas it's I, I think it's like the largest firearms convention um in in the u.s i think there's like it's like thousands of vendors and stuff like that yep. it's like firearms hunting stuff um outdoor stuff so it's pretty cool um I, I mean i'm from canada so we don't really do any shooting or anything besides like hunting obviously yeah um but it's it's cool to go down and check that scene out but it was yeah, it's just a vacation we, yeah. i took my dog down there i drove from from where I am, I drove down there. It's like an 18 hour drive. Jesus. Um, took my dog down with me. Yeah. It's, it's a fun drive though. It's so nice. Like yeah, you're driving yeah. through the Rockies the whole time. It's like, you go straight the whole time too. So yeah, it's yeah. like pretty easy. You just set the cruise control, got the little self-driving thing going on. So I can just like let go of the wheel and, and cruise. And it's really nice. Um, beautiful country. And then you get to Vegas and it's so nice. Cause it's like cold up here and yeah. you get to Vegas and you get out of your car and it's like, you know, 16 degrees or whatever that is in Fahrenheit. It's like 65 degrees. So it's pretty nice. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun. We get to bring our dogs and stuff to the convention, get to walk to the casino with our dogs and stuff. And it's just, it's just tons of fun, you know? That's awesome. Where did you, uh, where'd you guys stay? Did you stay at one of the main hotels or? No, we just get an Airbnb when we do it. Cause we bring the dogs with us yeah, and yeah. there's usually like, you know, three or four of us kind of doing it. Um, this is the second year now we've done it and yeah, we, uh, we like to have just an Airbnb with like a backyard and stuff so you can break the dogs and, yeah. and things like that. Um, but it's, it's kind of more affordable, I think to do it that way too. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't have to be right on the strip or anything like that, which is kind of nice. So yeah, that's sweet. My wife and I are going to Vegas in April, uh, just for like a little music festival mm-hmm. down there. And, uh, she's never been there before. I've been there a couple of times, but, um, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. It's a fun place to go. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't I don't gamble much and I don't yeah. I don't really drink much or anything like that, but it's fun to just go hang out and see all the, the cool stuff there is to do there. There's so much other cool stuff to do there too. Just a wild place. Like my wife and I were just out of town recently and um we were out of the country and everybody we talked to, like all the locals and stuff, like on this island that we were on, they um 
like they all said like Vegas is the place that they go to visit when they go to the States. It's just like when everybody thinks of like USA, it's either Los Angeles, it's Las Vegas, or it's New York. It's one of the three. Well, Vegas is like the embodiment of what Americans are. (laughs) We gamble, we smoke. Uh, It's it's weird, yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. And, and, and it's no, funny because it's, it's the biggest firearms thing too, you know. Yeah, like we love our guns here, so that's yeah, a yeah. perfect <laughs> representation for you to have of an American. Hell yeah, yeah. It's it's a wild place. Like the contrast from Vegas, uh, from Vegas to here is like insane, especially. Yeah. But even like for people like from the states, like I always go with my friends from the states, like my buddy from Arkansas that owns a training facility there. I go with him and and a few of our other friends in like law enforcement and stuff like that. So. They all, even they say the same thing. It's just a crazy place, you know. Yeah. My uh, my buddy Rob, he always t- says he always says it's a place you're excited to get to, but you're excited just as excited to leave. Yeah, that makes says. sense, <laughs> and it's true, and it's and it's so funny too. And like again, like one of the things, it's you'll drive into Vegas and you'll be, oh my god, this place is amazing. It's beautiful. It's crazy. And then you'll just like leave the strip and it's like, dude, this place is a shithole. Yeah, yeah. It is like it is a shithole anywhere off the strip. It's, yeah. And even the strip is kind of like. Yeah, a little gross nowadays. I don't know. If, yeah. You know, it's not the nicest place sometimes, you know. If you're kind of like enthralled by it for the first time or whatever, then yeah. it's like, yeah. But once you go a couple times and you start to yeah. see through uh-huh. things a little bit, it's like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of messed up. Yeah, that's right. What is it? Place built It's still cool, though. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so you said you guys are saying... Bro- Sorry, go ahead. You're breaking up just a little bit. I don't know if it's on your end or my end, though. It's just like cutting out a little bit here and there, but... Let me know. I don't know. Let me know my, if it gets it bad. It looks like you have a little bit of a delay on your mic as well, but I could hear you well, so maybe it'll get better. Who knows? <laughs> me... Yeah, we'll see. Okay, it's good right now, though. It's good right now. So. Yeah, you're the okay. far. You're the farthest uh, guest I think we've ever had. So it's a long no, way. No, UK. Really? Oh, Danny. No, you guys have people in. Yeah, you yeah, can. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. I, that might be the same distance. Honestly, yeah. it's possible. So, oh, speaking no, of the UK, not, we're not that far. Do you hear? Um, do you hear? So, obviously, February first, they were supposed to have the e-collar ban take effect over there, and it is effectively February first, and it didn't go through. Did you hear that? Somebody posted about that. I saw somebody posted that, but then I googled it and I didn't see anything online. But maybe it just <laughs> does it hit the news? Like I checked it out last night, and I didn't see anything on the news about it. But maybe I just didn't do enough research or maybe it just didn't hit the headlines. I mean, it's not really a big deal for most people, but yeah, I don't know if it'll hit the news and stuff. My, my source of information for them over there is that, uh, Jamie and, uh, Danny, obviously the guys who have been really like leading the show on putting back against that ban. And they both made pretty big substantial posts yesterday and today just talking about how basically it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And then once mm-hmm. it hits the date, it was supposed to be effective. If there wasn't like a consensus on it, the bill is effectively gone. Then at that point is my understanding of it. Right. So basically oh, they could cool. try to, they could try to yeah. like reenact it and like push back on it again and, and, you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. see if they can get it to go through a second time. But like for as much probably time and money that's gone into it so far, it sounds like it's pretty unlikely that will happen, which is pretty sweet. I mean, they, uh, they really busted their asses to to kind of push back on that over there. Mm. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I uh, I remember like seeing all the posts and stuff about that when it first first came to light. But no, that's awesome that that they that they were like at that kind of repealed. So I think we talked about it last time, but it's one of those things. It's definitely going to come to Canada too. I'm sure yeah. the same kind of thing. You know, 
Um, didn't they? They just had a big bully breed ban over there too, right? In the UK. <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know all the details as far as that. I didn't follow that very closely, but he touched on that as well in it. And I think basically they had a grace period where you could register your bully breed with them. And if the dog is outside, it needs to be leashed in on a muzzle, like similar to like in the States here, yeah, we have like yeah. dangerous dog legislation and stuff where if your dog gets a dangerous dog, uh, uh, you know, note on them or mm -hmm. whatever, you have to do pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know. I think, I think their big push was on the e-collars, obviously at that point. I don't know what they have in store as far as trying to push back on that. I think the, uh, the breed one, the BSL stuff is going to be a lot harder to you know, get any sort of uh, uh, push on, you know, as far as getting that reverse. Because we talked about mm -hmm. it a little bit last time mm -hmm. as far as like pit bulls and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, with the e-collar, the statistics are so gray where you could fight them and say, hey, this actually isn't true. This actually isn't true. But the statistics as far as like bites mm -hmm. and like all that kind of stuff, like are a little bit harder to to deny, you know, <laughs> so. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. tough position yeah. to be in, but, you know. No, that's, that's good, is. though. That's good because it's like it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's it's pretty big organizations lobbying for that kind of thing, like the e-collar bands and yeah. stuff like that. So to be able to kind of get rid of that is is cool. And I know I'm not sure. I'd have to I could ask you could ask him, um, but I'm pretty sure it was like when Tyler Muto was the president of the IACP, whenever that was in like 2012, that there was a ban on I believe prong collars and maybe electronic collars in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I think that like the IACP at the time got that overturned as well. Um, which is that's a big deal too i mean that's a huge huge population of canada so yeah yeah that's massive for sure um are you uh are you super familiar with are you in, are you a member of the iacp that's a funny question so <laughs> and it's so funny you bring it up because we, we had this conversation yesterday yeah um because one of my employee one of my uh my, my one of my partners that asked me um they asked me like, what, like, what's the like, what's the point of joining the ICP? Like, do you just pay a membership so you can like put their logo on your website or whatever? Yep. And I said to them, I was like, well, like, yeah, like you, you pay a membership, you put their logo on your website, but really, like, and then I told, them they've been responsible for some like pretty big pushes in the in the balance training community, and they are like one of the most outspoken advocates of things. But then I told her, like, especially lately, things seem to be pretty disjointed over there. Like, so I'm in. I mean, first of all, I'm in the Facebook group, <clears throat> the private membership. Group. This is gonna. I'm going to get kicked out for this now, but I'm in the <laughs> private it. membership group or whatever. Um, I'm in, like, I get all the emails, I get like invited to the conference, but I haven't paid a membership fee for the ISCP in like two years. Sure. So like, I'm not supposed to be involved in any of this stuff. They're supposed to be doing their due diligence and removing people that don't pay their membership, but you know, yeah. whatever. Um, so with that being said, it's like, they're, they're obviously not paying attention to that. And then I see in the Facebook posts or the Facebook group, it's like, they, they don't, they just kicked out their most recent president or the person that was in charge. And I believe there was some like legal issues with that too. Um, and then there was a bunch of other stuff before that, where they were going through a bunch of pushback from, from members. And now they had to change the website, I believe. And everybody's up in arms about that because now they can't find the trainer registry on the website ah. and it's just a whole shit show and nobody knows what's going on. So I, again, I have no interest right now of, of joining. I mean, if they're pushing back against some sort of legislation, sure. then yes, I will absolutely do my pay my dues or whatever I need to do to help out with that. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, I don't right now. I just don't feel like giving them my money realistically. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about current IACP stuff. I never wound up joining. I remember mm -hmm. when 
I was going out to Tyler's place like somewhat regularly, uh, you know, whatever, six years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was. Um, he was like getting ready to, to become the president of it. And then like near the end of when I started going out there, he like effectively took over as president. And I remember asking him about it. He's like, yeah, you should join, you know. Um, we've got a really great, uh, you know, board over there. It was, you know, actually like established, like boots on the ground people, you know, they weren't super like, uh, political from the standpoint of there wasn't a lot of like, like everybody that was a part of it yeah. seemed to kind of see eye to eye enough on like the big picture goal, you know? And, and what he said was, you know, like the point of it is the ISCP is going to be doing things to make sure that we have our best fighting chance to push back against any sort of you know, legislation that might come this way and all that, like they were really going to be the people heading the show on that. And that was his biggest reason for wanting to be involved yeah. in it. And I considered joining, but for whatever reason, I, I never wanted to. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Um, but uh, it, it, it just kind of seemed like once he left that position, like all reputability of the IACP kind of just like went out the window, you know? Um, and yeah. it seems yeah. like all I hear from other people that are involved in it is like all it is is just people fighting with each other in it now at this point. So great. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it seems like. Yeah, it's like uh like I, I joined when it was Melanie Melanie was the president when I joined and she I thought she was doing a good job when I joined because I you know I followed along with the ICP before I joined and stuff. Sure. Um but yeah it's like like you said like I don't know I couldn't even tell you like what is their stance or position or what have they done to push back on this, this proposed e-caller ban in the UK? Yeah. Like have, have they done anything or I, I don't know, like yeah. maybe they have, but it hasn't, I've only heard of the, the, you know, Jamie and, uh, and, yeah. and Danny's pushbacks. That's the only thing I've really heard of. Right. Um, and so, and, and his thing, I think Dan or <clears throat> Jamie is Ardo, right? Um, a R D O that's his organization, I believe in the UK. I'm not sure. Um, he, he, something like that. Isn't his it? company is is take the lead. Should Google that. Take the lead training or take the lead canine. Yeah, or yeah he's yeah. got. He, he has an organization over there as well. Um, I'd be curious what it's called. Yeah, shout it out. But um, anyway, so so I don't know what their pushback is on that. And like you said, it's just yeah, a lot of infighting. Um, you know, a lot of infighting and stuff since kind of COVID basically is when things seem to have went really south for them. Yeah. Um, maybe even just before that, I don't know, but. Um, so regarding, yeah, I don't, I don't touch it though. I don't really get involved. Regarding their um, stance on like and like their pushback on the e-collar thing, they when things were like first getting really hot over there in the UK when they were announcing all of it, the IACP did release a like statement, right, like a one-page statement, and I remember reading it, and the entire statement was of the guys of. Um, you know, that e-collars are like a non-aversive tool, right? It was basically their, their push against it. Yes, exactly. You know, which obviously we've yes, we yeah, talked about it. that till we're blue in the face as far as, you know, our opinions on that. But like, they really tried to take yeah. that, like, I think faulty argument that can just be picked apart of just the e-collars, not an aversive tool only when it's used properly and blah, 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 you know? And I just remember, I think the it's episode so weird. I did yeah, on it, yeah, I read it, and and and, and I think I th I think I myself kind of picked it apart a little bit. I wasn't super into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious who's in charge of that, like that that, that decision or whatever it is. Um, but they do, like I said, like even at the last conference, I know there was like a big Lima thing, like least intrusive, minimally aversive, or sure. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it stands for. Yeah. Um, certification course that they were promoting and it seems like that's kind of the direction the icp wants to take which i think is where a lot of that pushback comes from because yeah like like you said it makes it like 
you know, difficult to justify utilizing tools like remote callers for yeah. simplistic tasks. Like, but well, not simplistic, but things like recall and stuff that I would still deem it necessary. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's intrusive and aversive. You know, um, yeah. so so like you know, how do you how do you justify that or balance that? You yeah. Know? What's your, um, what's your overall take on like just Lima as a whole? So I think it's, I think it's the yeah, least invasive, minimally aversive, I believe. So I think the principle of it is that like, if you're going to use any sort of aversive or invasive technique, it needs to be the absolute mm-hmm. minimum that you can get away with in order to achieve the result, right? Which obviously can forever be argued back yeah. down to, do you need aversives at all? Which is kind of where it, it kind of stems from, you know? Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious your yeah. your thoughts yeah. on on just overall that that kind of philosophy. I would say like there's certain instances where like that you can take that approach, um, but at the end of the day, it's like at the same time, like using that approach could be could be torturous for certain situations. You know, like if I know, you know, just a, even just for example, like a dog is you know reactive on the end of the leash, and we you know we've covered all the bases for why that might be. Um, if I know that like an e-caller correction is going to solve this issue, um, or at least like make it like, you know, a hundred times better or tenfold better, why would I not use that approach first instead of go through, you know, checking off the list of like least intrusive minimally aversive things to try first, or even like, you know, if I know something else might work, but it'll take six months or a year versus the e-caller route or versus like an aversive, a more aversive or intrusive route not even to use e-caller it's the, the example but um why wouldn't i take that 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 quicker simpler more easily understood route for the dog you know yeah and, and you see it all the time like we see it all the time as trainers you know dogs that have been you know they get a little they get confused right or owners that get confused through these these other methods that kind of make them go through you know just constant constant different things that they need to try Versus like, hey, like, you know, let's let's do this. It's going to work right away. We know that. And then we can kind of go back and work on all the other things we need to work on. It's like I said, it can be torturous for certain situations if we're really trying to um, if we're really trying to use that, like I said, that least intrusive, minimally aversive yeah. route. Yeah, I think if you um, I think there's like a couple different ways that I like to look at it where in principle, this idea that like, yeah, let's. Let's try to use as little force as we can to achieve the desired response. Like, I think that's obviously noble and something that everybody should try to do for the most part, right? Um, I think the the overarching principle of it and, like, where it's derived from, which is, like, this kind of way of arguing, like, do we need force in the first place, right? Can we just, like, you know, desensitize things and counter condition and avoid the corrections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think that side of things, I, I, I... pretty wholeheartedly disagree with, right? I think that the, you know, the use of aversives is necessary in many cases, right? Uh, at least when you look at all the variables of like real life situations. But I think that when you mm-hmm. look at say teaching a behavior, right? Like if we're looking at, we're training a dog and we're teaching bed stays and recalls yeah. and downstays and stuff like that. I think that as we're working through our program, we should be attempting to 
be as minimally invasive and least aversive or least invasive, minimally aversive, <laughs> whatever the fuck it is, right? I, I think yeah. that that's great. Yeah. And I think that's something that I try to look at all the time where it gets really easy when you're working with a dog and like you're doing a downstay with them, right? To be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, the dog's breaking their downstay. I've done 8,000 downs before. Like, I'm just going to correct them for it, right? And 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 get them to, to kind of fix themselves. When in actuality, you could look at if it's not a dire situation where the dog is breaking the down to try to go like, bolt after a squirrel or react towards a dog or something like that, right? Maybe there's a degree of confusion at play and maybe I could kind of reverse engineer this and fix that problem, right? Yeah. I think where mm -hmm. I, I disagree with the using as little as we can get away with is when we look at creating inhibitions for like behavioral issues, right? So like, let's say I'm going That's, to correct yeah. for whatever, any number of behavioral issues. We'll just say like counter surfing, right? Getting food off of my counter. Like, yeah, I might be able to get away with correcting the dog. If we're just using e-collar as the easiest example because we could actually put numbers on it, right? Maybe I can mm -hmm. get away with correcting at a yeah. 20 to get them to stop doing that. And it might stop them in that moment. But when you look at creating an actual inhibition behind things, in order for it to work, it needs to be aversive enough for them to want to avoid it the next time, not just stop in the moment. So the amount of pressure needed to stop it in the moment is going to be significantly less than the amount of pressure to create an actual actual lasting inhibition behind the behavior, which kind of goes against the minimally yeah. aversive uh, side of things, I feel like, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's where I feel like I kind of- Yeah, even like- on it. What about like, you know, even the example, again, counter surfing, you yeah. could take the, the really what the least intrusive, minimally, aver minimally aversive route would be is gate off the kitchen, right? <laughs> sure. But yeah, is yeah. that really the least intrusive <laughs> to the dog? And is that really the- minimally aversive thing to the dog right like yeah. an entire room of the house is no longer allowed access to yeah sure we didn't use any force no mm -hmm. aversives were used but really what is actually more distressing what's more aversive to the dog you know a single correction from an e-caller or lifetime of having that gate up there or whatever it is yeah. right you know yeah that's sure. what i would look at too yeah, I think I, I, I try to look at like a lot of these like, you know, force free kind of uh, uh, ideas and stuff, you know, like the Lima. And it's like, yeah, like there's definitely things I think trainers should look at and not totally disregard it. But yeah, like it, my problem is like where a lot of them are created is just like with a, almost an agenda of pushing back on something that they don't like, you know? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, it that that is such a great uh, analogy you know like you're you're blocking off so much more from the dog yeah, yeah. just because you don't want to do this one thing yeah and and i do feel like that's a, a consequence of the that kind of movement the force free or no or low correction or whatever it's like well instead of ever having to do this to the dog i'll just never have them in that situation ever and keep them away from this entirely and but, yeah yeah or you could just yeah it's not like car chasing is another <laughs> go ahead sorry yeah, like car chasing, car chasing is another good example, right? Like, again, like a lot of force-free trainers are going to tell you, like, or not even force-free, but just least intrusive people that have this mentality are going to tell you your dog needs to be confined to a long line. It's like, it's that simple, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's going to be the, their method of resolving that without being intrusive or aversive. But I would argue, and I think we would all agree, that that's way more aversive and intrusive than e-collar correction and allowing the dog to be free you know that's and that's the way we would do it most likely yeah know? use an aversive approach to correct it and then the dog is granted more freedom so yeah yeah hell yeah well listen obviously a lot of the reason why i wanted to have you on for the second time so you just finished up ivan's actual school how long would you finish that a couple months ago or something yes 
Yeah, so it's kind of an ongoing process, still, to be honest with you, because I'm not still a technically sort of fully certified yet through the through the program. So yeah. the way that it works is you go to the you you start the the course. So basically, I started in June of of 2023 is when I started the course. The course material is introduced um, throughout that 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 time. I believe it was. Yeah, it was June to August. We were the course material is released to you because it's via like it's all online kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, through like lectures and 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 video demonstrations and stuff. So you go from like June when you start the course and and uh, June when you start the course to August when it's like you finally have all the information. Then in August you're going to go to um, to Ivan's to write the test. So there's a test that needs to be written. That's the. Uh, we good. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just. Uh... Recording in no. progress. V- video. I had to restart oh, the video. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, no worries. Yeah, so so like I said, so this, the course for the Ivan course is going to start in June. Um, that's when I joined the course. It's going to go to August when we get all the all the information is released by the by the time August rolls around. Sure. It's in, in, it's released in like increments. So like uh, modules are released every twice a week, I think is how it worked. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you study the, the material and stuff throughout that time. Then you go and write the the written exam. So the written exam is the first part of the testing for the certification. So you'll go to you'll go to Florida. You go to Plant City, which is where his his place is there. Yeah. And you'll spend a weekend there. It's called the Trainers Weekend. So during that weekend, you'll kind of meet all the other people that are in the course with you that are um, that have been taking this the, the test with that are going to be taking the test with you. And you do it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you do two days of basically lectures and learning with Ivan, uh, like in person, which is just it's tons of fun. It's it's really cool. Um, he makes like he makes it such a fun experience to go learn from him there. Yeah. And then you know you'll uh, you know even after the class and stuff you'll you'll hang out you'll hang out with everybody, have drinks and stuff with everybody. It's it's kind of a bit of a, a fun little party, honestly. Um, and, and so there's two days of that, and then on the the Sunday in the morning you write you write the exam, and you write the exam. Kind of goes into the the test the testing and writes it once you're done again everybody kind of hangs out after the test and and, and drinks and just hangs out kind of thing yeah um, which is again it's just it's tons of fun it's a good environment um and then you, you go home and then you find out that you passed the, the the test or not from after that like you know about a week later you'll find out i failed the test the first t- time around i didn't pass it the first time which is pretty typical it seems to be the case so i uh i ended up going back again in november which was the the second writing so when you go back to write it, you'll be with like kind of a new group of people plus the people that maybe didn't pass with you, which is a good portion of the class. Um, you rewrite the exam. It's going to be a different exam. You know, same concepts, obviously, same ideas, but different different questions for the most part. Um, you do you do the exam, and so this time I, I passed the second time around. I passed the, the written exam, which was exciting. That's a big achievement in and of its of its own. Some people don't even make it past that. It's it's a pretty pretty difficult um exam and so then you do the you go into the practical portion of the certification which i've been finding is maybe the more difficult part which i thought was going to be the easier part but um the practical is basically where you have to film and demonstrate you applying the concepts to a dog uh and and i don't i don't know i can't i don't want to give too much weight because i don't know what's available for the public to kind of know about the, the practical the practical examination but basically you just have to demonstrate some behaviors trained through the twc methodology is basically the the whole idea of it you film you know i think you got to film like five videos of each of these behaviors you got to perform and then ivan uh, will review them and you find out whether you passed or not so again i uh 
I've recently sent in my practical exam videos in, in January. And I, again, I, I had some things I needed to fix and adjust with them. So I've recently sent in my, my newest set of practical videos to find out if, 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 if they pass the, the test or not. And then once I do that and pass that, then we, we become certified. So, yeah. So it's, it's quite a process, you know, from start to finish, it takes, it can take a full year. You, you know, the cool thing about it, and I don't know, maybe we talked about it last time. I don't know how much I knew about it last time we talked. That was a while ago, but, um, it was, it's, you get a year to do it basically. So you, you pay the fee for the course and you have a full year to do Got it. The, the, take the course, review the information, take the test, pass the test. Then once you pass the test, you can do the practical. So if you don't pass and, and the testing is only done every, you know, three months or so. And sometimes I think they don't even do it every three months. So you might only have three opportunities in a full year to write the test. Right. Yeah. Um, so then you, if you don't pass the test, you got to do it again and then you got to do it again. And once you start closing in on like, okay, I only got three months left to do the practical now. It's like, that's a short period of time I'm coming to find, you know, mm-hmm. um, I still have quite a bit of time. You know, I finished my testing within six months. So I still have, you know, I still have like four months till, till June basically to, to, to complete the practical. So I have lots of time, yeah. but man, like it's, it's, especially if you don't have access to dogs, like, like, like me and you would, it's yeah, like, yeah. it can be really difficult be to get this tough. stuff done, you know? Yeah. So, I imagine it's pretty stressful. Yeah. What, um, so you said you obviously <clears throat> failed it the first time and you said that seems like it, yes. you know, a decent amount of people do obviously. What sorts of things did you mm-hmm, find mm-hmm. that you struggled with on it? You know, that, you know, took you to the second time to kind of get right. Well, you know, like, like what, what sorts of things in that, that's not the practical side. That's the, what did you call it? The first half of it? The written, the written exam, yeah. The, the written exam, yeah, yeah. So what, what types they of just, things were in yeah. it that you found were, um, you know, the, the ones that you struggled with? Yeah, so it's a lot of theory um, and, like, theory and, like, scientific, like, um, just scientific terminology and stuff like that. Um, and, under, like, the understanding of that, which I feel like I did pretty good with that for the most part. Um, but then there's the conceptual side of it, like applying those concepts and, and yeah. applying the theory and the, the, the that that stuff to the actual um, concepts of TWC. And that's where I found I kind of got like, you know, especially as somebody that had quite a bit of experience training um, and doing things differently than maybe the TWC way, you can kind of get stuck on some of the answers of like, you know, maybe not, not answering them like... Um, not necessarily answering them like like as they're supposed to be you know you might answer them like you know you you think of it like let's think of something like um yeah like can you can example. you use like, yeah, like, like an, an example, example that test. might describe it yeah <clears throat> yeah um even just like let's say we're talking about like okay so like a good example would be like a lot of people will like put in in things like you know Let's say we have a nervous dog. What's one of the things that we're going to... So, so I guess I should explain like how the test works. It's a lot of multiple choice questions. It's about like, I would say a good portion of multiple choice, not even a good portion, maybe half multiple choice, um, something like that. And then the other half, and obviously the more heavily you know examined part of it, the heavily tech graded part of it, is going to be the written portions of the exam, like the, the written long word answers and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's where basically like, you know, you'll either get a question and you'll be expected to write like the answer, um, you know, and that might be something like what is, what is the difference between, you know, um, avoidance and escape, 
in escape and avoidance learning. It'll be something like that, you know? Um, And then you might have to write out the answer to that, right? (laughs) Or, and the even more heavily graded parts is going to be the, uh, like, you're going to get a video clip of, like, uh, maybe it's going to be, like, a dog. It's going to be a quick video clip of a dog doing a behavior, whether it's, like, you know, doing a a bad behavior with an owner present or something like that. You're going to get a pretty quick video clip and then be expected to answer a question about that clip, like, how would you go about resolving this con- this problem using TWC methodology or something like mm-hmm. that, right? And so just as an example, let's say you get a video clip of like a fearful dog and a lot of people, like especially with like past experience training stuff, they'll say like, how are you going to fix the relationship with the dog, right? And it's going to be like, oh, I would use like, you know, positive reinforcement and food to build a relationship with the dog or something along those sure. lines, right? And that's going to be an instant failure right there in the TWC course. Cause he like, it's, it's, he wants to know how are you going to build a relationship with the dog? What are yeah. you going to do to build a relationship with the dog? You know, and understanding the methods of TWC and like, what are you, what are you going to be able to do to build a relationship with the dog? Things like that. Right. Or yeah. if you say, you know, you're going to punish a behavior, like how are you going to punish the behavior? What's yeah, that yeah. going to look like? Right. You can't just say you're going to punish something. Right. So it's really being able to dive deep into those concepts and the answers that you give. Yeah. Without overdoing it as well. You know, it's, it's, it's cool the way they do it. Like I said, it's, it's kind of stressful because yeah. it's like you get like a quick video clip and then you're expected to answer like, how, how would you solve this problem basically? And it's like, you know, some people will write like pages of information, you know, some people will just write like little blurbs kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, everybody might, you know, you might pass with either or, but it's really just making sure you dove into the actual concepts and understood, understood those concepts of TWC when you, when you answered the question, you know, yeah, that's going to be like the biggest thing. So, so when I failed the first time around, that was kind of part of the issue. And then the other issue is like, just, just answering it. Like you're a trainer, like you're talking to a client, like you're a TWC trainer, like don't, don't get too into the jargon and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that was another big thing that I found is important. That's tough. Cause it's like, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to say it's like subjective, right. But like a lot of the answers, he's looking for a very particular type of answer, obviously. But if it's the way I'm understanding, which is like you, you literally just have a, a, a section to write something out in, right? It's like, yeah, you could, I know if I was sitting in front of that test, I would just be like, I don't know exactly what he's looking for. So I'm going to just write everything. <laughs> have like fucking page long responses. What, to everyone, right? You know? Yes. And people will do that. Right. And it's like, like I said, it's like, I don't know, like, that's not always a bad thing. Like, especially sure, this is the yeah. thing, like if the answers are in there, then you got it, you know, you'll still get it. Right. But you just have to show that you understood, like I said, the concepts, right. Um, yeah. you know, like, yeah, it's, it's again, like for me, like I, I'm, I write pretty short answers, like realistically, like I was, I, I write pretty short answers sure. for, for the most part with that stuff. But yeah, it's, it's just being able to break it down and it's, He's not looking for a specific answer. You could answer it a different way than somebody else. Got it. Again, as long as you kind of covered the the concepts, right? As long as you covered what, you know, what you learn throughout the course. Yeah. That's going to be the biggest thing. Yeah. And he, I'm assuming he is the one teaching everything. Is that correct? I know you said a lot of it's like online. Yeah, he teaches everything. But yeah. Yeah. All of it. So basically it's just, it's a, must have filmed it, um, I don't know when he filmed it, but they must have done like at some point they must have done like a multiple week or like a one week or two week like course at his place and film the whole thing. And that's what the course's con- content is taken from is this long, basically like week long lecture, however long lecture. Um, 
but again, and that sounds boring, like when you say it like that. But man, I I can. He's a great teacher, and sure. the way he sets up the the class and, and and stuff is just it's really captivating, and and the information you learn is just so engaging. But yeah, it's basically just like lecture, basically lectures and stuff, and um, you know, slideshow lecture kind of material. There is also some like, especially um, like he'll at they've been adding different modules and stuff because they're still expanding on the course. Sure. So they've been adding lectures from other people like Dr. Mark Polanski and stuff like that. Um, different lectures from people like him. Um, but otherwise, it's mostly all the stuff that you need to to learn is Ivan's teaching yeah. and and demonstrations. There's a lot of demonstration videos and stuff throughout the course as well. And then when you go there for the weekend, same thing. It's mostly Ivan teaching, but I still have guest speakers come out and stuff. We we didn't have any guest speakers when I went, but uh, it's mostly yeah, it's all him doing the teaching. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool because I would say, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, not to like, uh, not to like, you know, shit on anybody else by any means, but like the other big schools, obviously Bart's like uh, golden and, and platinum school and all of that, that he does. And at this point, it seems like his big goal is just scaling his school as big as possible. And basically he just certifies somebody up to platinum and then he has that person out teaching the course. Right. And I don't think he himself yeah. is doing much teaching or his yeah. wife, uh, mm. uh, Michelle or, or whoever it is. Yeah. Right. It's- and it's. Like, like I know, like yeah, I think couple- they call it. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say they call it, yeah they call it the gold multiplicator or something like that. Yeah. Oh, is yeah. that what they call it? Gold multiplicator. Oh, like yeah, it. that's what they call it. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a little restricted trademark symbol at the end of that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sounds a little pyramid. Don't forget to include that. It, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it does <laughs> sound a little bit pyramidy, and it, and the other thing that kills me too is like. Like there's people that are, I'm sure, phenomenal trainers, right? That I see that graduate the program and mm-hmm. go on to teach it. But like, you know, like in some cases, like I saw, I saw like a, a picture recently of one of the instructors with like a couple people that went through the course and the person that was going through the course, um, like I, I don't know personally, but I know of this individual okay. and it is a very, very, very established, very <laughs> good trainer uh-huh. that was learning from somebody that probably knows the the content well, right? And knows the yeah. material well, but I would argue if that individual has half of the the <laughs> uh, the credentials as the, the other person does, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And it was just like a little bit weird because it's like- Kinda. Like you almost like I think Ivan says a lot of times like you you want to go to the horse's mouth for some of this kind of stuff and yeah. it's like I could go take these courses yes, and yes. you could take these courses and you're gonna have a great understanding of the TWC program right but at the end of the day there will inevitably be questions that are presented that it's like unless you created it you're not necessarily gonna know the answers to that right yeah. <clears throat> which is which is tough you know so that's why I, I like that that Ivan is currently at least doing it all himself you know mm-hmm. and he's not having other people come in and do the teaching and stuff yeah i'm gonna have to um i'm gonna have to go do some snooping and see who this person is you're talking about because i'm trying to think of it and i don't think i've seen that yet but i'd probably yeah, yeah. know if i saw it um <laughs> yeah but yeah it's yeah it's it's i don't know i i'm like i'm into it like i'm i'm cool sure. with that too like if you if you're you know especially if you're you know what you're teaching is easy enough to teach and like get out to the masses then go go for it but at the same time like yeah again like i think especially especially from what i know about nipo po it's a pretty intricate system yeah. and it takes a lot of skill so i don't think it's something that you're gonna be learning in like oh and i don't think the point is to learn in a weekend mm-hmm. i mean i do think most of their their schools are like weekend things but maybe they do online stuff too yeah. to supplement that i don't know um 
but still it's like it's one of those systems especially that it's like yeah you don't want people like going out and teaching like napopo courses to just the masses and yeah, yeah. people everybody getting e-callers and trying to do low level e-caller stim conditioning with the dogs and stuff yeah. it's just again that's that's a one-way ticket to e-callers getting banned it really is you know yeah. in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah what um you know obviously i don't you said you're still going through the course i don't want you to like obviously be talking on behalf of of twc by any means but like what would you say have been some of your biggest takeaways from it so far yeah yeah, I think at this point now it's like, you know, I could probably speak pretty much fully about it because it's like, you know, it's, if I, pa- I mean, I'm, yeah, understood. It, yeah, it's, I'm, once I get the certification, obviously, then yeah, it's a little easier to, to talk about that kind of thing. But it's still, regardless, it's, I've done the course and everything like that. You know, I've been in the, in the program now for, for well, almost the better part of six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, I think, Ask you, say, what was your question again? Say it again. Sorry. Yeah, just just some of your biggest takeaways, and, and when I say that, I mean really yeah. like, yeah. like again, not like the the secrets and all that kind of stuff, but like, what is it that really yeah. opened your eyes to like that? You know, you spent a good chunk of change. I think it's like ten thousand dollars to do this program, right? Like, what have been some things that you, as an already established trainer, you went into it and you were like, wow, these are actually new concepts that are are yeah. being explained to yeah. me in a way that I just didn't you know, that didn't resonate before, you know, or you just didn't know before or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, no, of course. Like, so obvi- like the biggest thing for me, is just like, you know, getting the dogs to a place where they, every dog enjoys the training regardless of what the dog is and regardless of what the behavior issues are to some extent, right? Like, yeah, there's going to be rough moments during the training process, especially with behavior issues and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean the whole process needs to be like, boot camp like yeah we're going sure. to we're, we're, you're coming to boot camp now and we're going to fix this issue and we're going to get you in line and your owner is going to you know your owner is going to reinforce this your owner's the drill sergeant now yeah. we don't need that like dogs no matter what the behavior concern is in my opinion really no dog needs that like yes there are some issues that need more structure management etc mm-hmm. but it's never you know you, like maybe you've heard the term like the gun to the head terminology maybe you've heard that before in regards to like behavior training and like e-collar use and stuff like that where the dog you know always needs to be under lock and key they always need to be on their yeah, place sure. bed they always need to have that e-collar on and turned up and stuff it's like and this is all stuff i would have subscribed to previously especially when dealing with these more significant behavior modification cases but now going through the course i realize like there's a totally different way to do it there's a totally different way to look at it and it, it gets you to a much better place with the dog and with the owner, you know, like there's something like owners, especially like them seeing their dogs just happy and enjoying training, especially a dog that maybe was nervous and fearful and aggressive. Even um, them seeing their dogs like opening up and enjoying things is it, maybe they're not, you know, maybe that doesn't mean they're seeing their dogs, you know, walking around lows or something like that with a muzzle on and their tail down ears tucked back or anything like that maybe it means they're seeing their dog chase a ball in a park or something near a pathway where there's other dogs walking around and that's what this individual dog's capabilities are and this is what it's uh, enjoys doing um and this is what you can do with this dog like you know what i mean like yeah we do have this aggressive dog um that we need to train but maybe it's not going to enjoy going to a place like you know home depot or the patio with you but there's all these other things you can do with it to make to help it enjoy you know enjoy life you know it doesn't need to be just constant stress and 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 management um and and punishment right um and so that's one of the biggest things for me like just learning how to take on these more severe cases with a different approach that gets you to a way better place and i look at things like 
I look at other trainers. I don't want to say any names because it's like, and I like sure. these people. I, <laughs> I respect these people, but these people that deal with like significant behavior modification stuff, like, you know, these aggressive dogs, sort of speak, right? Where, you know, they show the dog coming into the building with a muzzle on, trying to lunge at the trainer. And then the trainer's like taking the leash and like right away they're cutting to them doing e-collar work to, to teach the dog to, you know, to, to come closer to them with e-collar stem. Like the dog's terrified of them, has a muzzle <laughs> on and wants to leave the old, them. The old reverse and, and, perception and, and this, trick. The old reverse perception trick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And so like, and, and yeah. again, I used to do this stuff, sure, but sure, now sure, that sure. I see that there's so many better ways to do it, I don't, I don't subscribe to it. It's like, I see the silliness of it, but yeah, you see the, the dog's still clearly terrified of being anywhere near them or in that room with them. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, sure. It's coming to you, but it's yes. not for the right reasons. And that's the big thing is like, making dog getting dogs to do things for the right reasons right you know yeah. not just getting them to do things because we can you know or because we think that that's what they need to be doing it's like just just take a couple extra days and get that dog to want to to to, to approach you yeah that might mean you need to maybe that means you need to wear a bite suit for the first two days handling this dog maybe that means your kennel techs can't take it out maybe it means you actually have to do the dirty work kind of thing for a couple days yep. of, of dealing with it until you can build a real relationship with the dog right and we talked about it last time where it's like, unless you do that, unless you actually take the time to build that relationship, you, you never actually get to know the dog. You yeah. never, act, you never yeah, train yeah. that dog. You're training some different version of that dog that's in your presence versus the dog that's going to go home to that owner, which is a dog that has a relationship with its owner. And it's, you know, I'm not saying you need to let it do all the stupid shit that the owner lets it do, but you still need to, the dog needs to be itself before you can actually train that dog. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think that unless you know how to do that, especially with a fearful dog, especially with like a, an aggressive dog, it's, you're not going to get to the same place. You know, it's just going to be suppression and it's, it's not going to look good. The dog's not going to be happy. The owner might be, you know, somewhat happy at first until they realize their dog's just like, you know, a crippled mess or a shut down mess. And then they get tired of it quick. And you know, the suppression goes away kind of thing. And it's, yeah, it's, you know, that's yeah. You go down a rabbit hole with that, but like I said, that's the biggest difference is just knowing how to take on these cases from a different lens of like, you know, what is what is this dog capable of doing? What does this dog want to do? And what can I use to kind of harness that to 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 make the dog better? Right to kind of fix some of these issues, mm. to give the dog back to the owner with um, a more confident and capable dog. You know, again, there's there's always limitations on what we can do with every dog, and understanding that is so important because. Again, it's like, you know, I might have like a year ago or a year and a half ago, I might have taken a dog in and be like, yeah, we could get this dog to go on a patio. Yeah, we could get this dog to walk around Lowe's and, and we can get this dog to, you know, sit on its place, but in a room full of strangers and stuff like that. It's like, we can get it to do that stuff too, like, regard, like through the TWC method and stuff, but it's not like, that's not what our sole focus is. That's not what we're going into our training program focused on, Right that's like going to be a byproduct of, of the training is getting the control, getting the control in the relationship with the dog where we can ask them to do these things or we can put them in these difficult situations and they kind of trust and have the confidence to get through it when we need to do it, you know? Yeah. But, mm -hmm. but, but again, like, you know, there's dogs that there's certain dogs that they just, they don't, they don't need to do that stuff. You know? Yeah. I, I like that. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I, just using piggybacking off of your example of that, you know, I joke the reverse perception trick that, you know, we've seen obviously trainers yeah. do before with dogs and just yeah. using that whole sequence, right. Of like, you know, in day one, we're taking this dog that's coming in and aggressing on people, right. 
were taking them. They're stopping the aggressing, obviously, for whatever reason, whether they corrected it, whether they just realized, oh, I'm stuck with this person now and, and aggressing isn't working, so I'm just going to kind of internalize it, shut down, or whatever it may be. And then, you know, we go right into this now forcing the dog to be in like really close proximity to us using a lot of pressure, right? Using a lot of escape training, stuff like that. And it's like, what I've really, I feel like, tried to look at over the last, like, year or so, like, with my training is, like, this approach of, like, less is more. And and if I'm going to be, like, really firm on one thing or put the dog in a position that's going to be really stressful, which could not even involve corrections. It could just be that the dog is with me now, and that's very stressful, and that in itself has kind of suppressed the aggression, Right. Let me let the dog be successful with that for a little bit before I then jump to the next hurdle mm-hmm. to allow them to build some confidence in this new situation that they're put in, right? Mm-hmm. Or build some confidence in mm-hmm. understanding that they can avoid whatever consequence I provided, right? Whether it's, you know, the dog came in and it was just a massive jumper and I corrected it for jumping or whatever, right? And I feel like a lot of people, they get past the initial hurdle. Like it's like, okay, cool. This dog came here and the dog isn't biting us, which is what we want it to not do, right? Whether, again, the dog is just doing it because they're just realizing it doesn't work or they got corrected for it, whatever. That's a a different debate. And instead of just letting them realize, oh, okay, I could be around this person, not bite them, and everything's okay, and they're not doing all of this horrible stuff to me that I had this perception that they were gonna do to me, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and allow them to be confident with that, we just immediately change the goalposts to now we have this new expectation we're going to create a lot of stress through and they just perpetually go through the training Mm -hmm. process of moving from one really stressful thing to the next one to the next one to the next one with no time to just understand how to like Mm -hmm. be a dog and be confident in what they're doing Mm -hmm. and i i don't know where Mm -hmm. it comes from i don't know if it just comes from like we have these like visual and mental like I don't know, like goals and this picture of what this dog needs to be able to do three weeks from now or four weeks from now or what, but you lose sight of like, what is it the person hired you for, right? Yeah. Like, like for example, we had this dog come in just last weekend from Chicago and spent the weekend with me, right? And the dog was here because the dog didn't know how to socialize well with other dogs, right? Now, she had some other goals of like mm-hmm. some obedience training, you know, she wanted to do some like off-leash work with the dog, this and that. But the major goal she came in for was this dog socializing appropriately with other dogs, right? And we put a lot of our emphasis into that. We were able to get the dog really, you know, relatively confident with other dogs, trying to play, interact. We had a good game plan for how to socialize this dog. And I knew with the limited amount of time I had, if simultaneously I tried to really pressure the dog into a lot of like formal obedience training and and just a lot of the the stuff that didn't really matter a whole lot, that I was gonna kill all of this confidence that I created in this one area, right? So instead of being like, well, we have the time, we'll do this, right? Or we'll do this, I chose to pick and choose what I was gonna work on because I knew what the actual goal the client had was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of trainers would just be like, all right, check, got the socialization good, now on to the next thing, right? And I think that's where a lot of trainers really shoot themselves in the foot with not letting the dog just have a good time you know, and start to enjoy the process. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, it's like you said too, it's like that checklist of behaviors you got to focus on. Like, okay, I got to get the dog to day one, sit, day one down, day two place, you know, day two place, stay kind of thing. Right. And they're just going through the motions with every dog as if it's the same, same dog in same situation. Right. And again, you can, even with three weeks, you know, like 
you can still get to the same place with a different way that's more more motivating more 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 dog centric like you mentioned last time where it's like yeah it's it's you're getting to the same place but it's you know it's a much much better way to do it i guess obviously right much less much less stressful to some extent the dog um much more motivating Mm -hmm. for the dog right um and that's that's the way that 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 it should be done but yeah like it's easy to get stuck like if you have three weeks and the owner you know gives you this list of demands that they need their dog to do like you can get stuck in like okay i gotta get all this stuff done i gotta check these things off right gotta make sure i gotta get the dog to you know out in public and around kids and stuff like that when it's it's really like you know just just tell the owner it's like hey like you know i'm either i'm going to need extra time to to accomplish these things in a way that's like you know beneficial for your dog or maybe it's just like yeah maybe your dog just doesn't do these things right now you know um and and we we focus on some other stuff first right there's there's always conversations that can be had with the owners um to to kind of steer them in the right direction because sometimes they also don't necessarily know what they want you know yeah they see these things on instagram like i said they see they see like you know these muzzled dogs in downstairs with like dogs running past them and walking past them and stuff like that and it's like they don't see that the dog is actually miserable and like hey i want my dog to do that it's like well yeah like we could get your dog to do that but why like is it beneficial like is there a reason why your dog needs to do that would your dog enjoy doing that you know um and these are all questions that need to be asked and owners at the end of the day appreciate it when you ask them that stuff you know and they appreciate it when you're honest with them about that kind of stuff you know instead of lie to them you know like a lot of trainers will do that like you know you get a dog that's like maybe they don't like kids maybe they're fearful of that kind of thing right and it's like a trainer will tell them yeah we could get your dog to you know be managed around kids you just have to put them on place and hold them accountable to their place and stuff when the kids are around and stuff like that and it's like or you could tell them it's like yeah your dog's probably not gonna be comfortable around kids so just when those kids out put them in a, in a in a crate you know make sure he's played in the morning and you've done some stuff with them put them in the kennel when the kids are around kind of thing and then take yeah. them out and do some individual activities later on mm. instead of make them lay on the place bed the whole day with a muzzle on or whatever yeah. the other idea is right you know yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's expectation setting is everything. I mean, you know, any good trainer knows, like, you can't, like, like, you have to calibrate the expectations that your client is going to have coming into things. It's funny, I had a a similar example recently. I was working with a client that has two dogs that um, get in fights with each other, right? And the dogs Mm -hmm. have been really good for, like, three years, Mm -hmm. right? And they had, uh, they Mm -hmm. had a fight recently with these dogs, right? And... Any issue they've ever had with these dogs in the past have been exclusively around when guests are over the house, right? Outside of that, mm-hmm. zero issues, a lot of success. It's just the overstimulation of guests coming over, and particularly when the guests are over, when they're kind of watching the game, having some drinks, we'll start to get a little loose, whatever, they have an incident, right? Mm. And it was just, I went over there, yeah. and I was just like, why don't you just not have the dogs out when guests are over? Like, how much do you actually have guests over that? It's like, well, maybe once a week or something for a couple hours. It's like, okay, just put the dogs away. Yeah. Right? Like, like, like we could spend all this time looking at like, oh, well, there's this solution and this solution. And yeah, just like place the whole time guests are over to start to reduce the arousal and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you also could just eliminate all of the stress for the dogs and for yourself and just put the dogs away when guests come over the house. Mm -hmm. And I think as trainers, sometimes we feel like an answer like that is us not doing our job right or it's us taking the easy way out or it's that we don't know how to solve the problem or or, or anything you know but in Mm -hmm. actuality so Mm -hmm. many issues can be solved 
by just understanding what situations to put your dog in and what situations not to put your dog in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, again, it's, it can be torture for the dog. Like I said, like yeah. a lot of trainers, a lot of these trainers will give solutions to clients that are torture for the dog where it's like you said, it's yeah, the guests are over. It's torture for the owners too. You know, guests are over. Oh, yeah. You want to have a good time, but no, you got to sit there and watch your dog <laughs> to make sure it's not launching itself off the bed to eat a guest. When, yeah, like yeah. you said, you just put it in the, in the kennel and just it'll be on. fine. You know, yeah. um, especially if it's, you know, again, there might be things that can be done in those situations, but yes. is it worth it? Is it necessary to do it? Probably not. You know, and <laughs> again, if you're looking at what's the best option for the dog, what's the the least conflicting approach, that might very well be it. And like you said, it's like trainers think that it's like a, it's like a, an easy way out to say that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's, it's responsible, you know? Yeah. It, it really is the responsible thing to tell people. It's, it's, again, I don't think it's like, like we talked to about, like, it kind of, it, it kind of seems like, you know, um, counter, counterintuitive to what we talked about before about like, using a long line to stop a dog from chasing cars sure. is just like, that's, that's aversive and lifelong management. It's like, it's a different context. It's a different situation. That's something that like restricts a dog from, you know, living an actual life kind of thing versus like you said, like you got guests come over a couple of times a week, put the dog in the kennel. Yeah. That's, that's, that is what it is. Right. And yeah. again, it's like, there's even times where you have to have that real conversation of maybe if you're, if you have guests over every single night of the week, cause you're just that kind of couple. Yeah. Maybe it's not the dog for yes. you, you know, sure. maybe it is yeah, time yeah. to have that conversation, right? And a lot of people don't want to have that conversation too, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and owners, the best thing they can do is find that out that early on kind of thing, right? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think the other difference between like how we were talking about like the long line outside versus like just putting the dog away and certain things is in one example, you're putting the dog in the position to be subject to doing these things and trying to micromanage them in the moment when they try to do those things. The other is just strategically not putting them in a position to rehearse it in the first place so that they don't feel that restriction, restraint, and micromanagement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's the big yeah. difference on why yeah. one is like so much worse than the other yeah i think yeah and and then you look at it go ahead no you go ahead go ahead you look at it like like i said like you said like it's like the easy way out and then there's also trainers like you might look at it like well no i know like if the dog is with me or maybe the dog was with you and maybe there were we're doing these things with you during the training maybe you could have the dog out when new people came into the building and easy stuff like their stuff like that that's you know complicated for the owners but easy for you but the owners just for whatever reason can't get to that point. Right. And they're, you know, again, there's, there's situations where it's like, you know, you have to understand what the owner is capable of as well. Right. And, and work within those, those parameters of what the owners, you know, capable of. And that's, that's a big thing. A lot of trainers miss too, is like, you know, not looking at the owner and what they're going to be capable of. You know, it's one thing that you can get the dog to do all this flashy obedience in like a, in a busy public place, but what's the, what's the owner going to be able to do, right? What's the owner going to be able to accomplish? Is it going to look the same as that? Yeah. Um, and are you training the dog to go home to the owner or are you training it to go home to another dog trainer? Cause they're not going, the dog's not going home to a dog trainer. It's going home to an owner. It's, you gotta, you know, you, you might have to dumb things down. You might have to simplify things to make that as successful as it can be. And that can be one of the hardest things to learn as a new trainer is, is that approach. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. like, again, you see, you see how, you know, certain people do all this training and stuff and it's, it can be easy to try to mimic that. But then again, is the owner going to be able to match that? Is the owner going to be able to keep up with that? 
that's another big question you have to ask, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned something earlier where, um, you were talking about like, you know, sometimes I don't remember if you said owners or, or specifically, but you know, some owners just like want to like, especially when they have an aggressive dog, right. Or a really anxious dog or a fearful dog, they want to be able to see somewhere where the dog is just like really enjoying themselves, you know? And I think if we could achieve that, yeah. And, and we could get them to a place where it's like, okay, listen, like, you know, there might be some hurdles, right? There might be some places you need to crack down on your dog a little bit, right? And get on them. But here are all of these areas where we could provide a great, you know, a great time for your dog and show them that not, you know, everything we do is going to be terrible, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to put them constantly in yeah. all these bad positions. I find yeah. owners are also just so much more accepting of some of the hard work that they might need to do in other places because, you know, it's 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 not there they don't feel like they're always like you use like the gun to the head analogy right mm -hmm. and like constantly like micromanaging and place and down and all of that kind of stuff and for me that's always been like socialization right i think that the socialization side of things when owners the amount of owners that i've had mm -hmm. literally cry in front of me the first time they watch their dog play with another dog right is like it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and it could be socialization from that context, or it could just be socialization in the form of like, your dog doesn't need to be on place all the time. We could just guide their behaviors a little more and teach them to kind of make their own decisions so they could mm -hmm. loosen up and have fun and we could play with them and stuff yeah. like that. I think that that is, that is so big. And that I still to this day find is is the missing link I see with a lot of trainers is they focus too much on the management and control side of things. And they never excel past that to the point of just allowing the dog to be a dog and make their own choices, you know, and, and live this life where they could exist within X parameter of rules that we ultimately set. But outside of that, they're free to be an independent creature and have fun. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Yeah. No, I would, I, I honestly, I think that's like the million dollar secret sort of thing. Right. And again, it's like, it's one of the things that for me, like TWC helped uncover, but it's, you know, yeah. even if you don't go through that course and you, you figured that out, it's great, but it's like, it, it's, and again, like, I don't want to make it sound like it's, cause it's not like, it's not an excuse for not doing the training, sure. but at the same time, it's like an, an owner is going to be way more satisfied. You're going to make way more money from a business perspective. And that's what I mean by like the million dollar secret from a business perspective. Like as a trainer and a business owner, or if you, if you own a training business, you're going to make so much more money by making happy dogs and happy clients instead of unhappy dogs. And maybe like, you know, momentarily happy clients, but that does not last, right? It will not last. Mm -hmm. I guarantee it. Right. And you can only burn so many of those bridges before you run out of clients kind of thing. And it's like, like one of the eye-opening things for me and it's like it's like i said it's not an excuse for not doing the training like my only goal when i bring in a dog that's aggressive and fearful isn't just to get it wagging its tail and throwing a ball in sure. my my acreage area where there's nothing around here like no we do need to do some stress the dog does need to kind of you know become more competent in certain situations that's that's a guaranteed part of the training process and we're going to get through these things but at the same time we're going to make sure that the dog is enjoying the process, right? Like I said, it's like a, an owner is going to be way more likely to come back with another dog or for more training and business if they see that their dog left the training better than they than when they came and happy, just as happy or happier is typically the case. You know, usually happier is because we've dealt with the behavior issues um, than when they came. And for me, like the big one is like when you send a dog home and they come back, and they, they're more excited to come into your building and run up to you and see you sure. than they are to even be with their, or even like 
uh, again, like it's really fun when it's like you have a midway session, like the owners come for some training during the board and train and the dog's super excited to see the owner. They run over and say out of the owner and they run right back to you and they're all excited and happy to see you too. (laughs) Nothing, nothing feels better than that. Really nothing in the world versus again, like a year and a half ago when I used to train and the way I used to train, it would be very much the opposite of that. It would be like the owners would come in, the dog would be super excited. They'd go over and get excited to see the owner. Then I'd try to get the dog to come back and train with me. And it's like, the dog doesn't want to do anything with you. It's like, no, my owner's here. F you dude. And you just, if you have that issue, if that's something you're seeing, there's a problem with the way you're training. There hundred percent is a problem with the way you're training. If that's what you're seeing, you know, um, that's my thoughts on that. Like you want to see a dog. And that's what I mean. Like the million dollar secret is clients come back more frequently now clients are willing to pay more money they're willing to do more like add an added on training and stuff with you if they know their dog's having a good time you know like we offer day training programs we offer boarding and stuff for past clients um we're doing a group class right now too i guarantee we wouldn't have people signing up for these things if they thought their dogs weren't going to enjoy what they were doing like especially like day training you know yeah. they thought the dogs were coming here to be like put on place for six hours they wouldn't they wouldn't do it they wouldn't do the day train right but they know that their dog's here having a good time playing off leash socializing all this stuff right yeah and it's something you mentioned i think recently something you mentioned it's like maybe the owners can't necessarily get to that level with the dogs themselves but just the fact that they can bring the dog back to you and see their dog running and playing with other dogs yeah that's enough for them and that's for me that's that's enough you know you know, again, it's not an excuse to just not do the work with the owner, yeah. but at the same time, it's, there's certain situations you have to look at it from a realistic lens, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned in the last episode we did, you were talking about, you know, the concept of, you know, training a dog in drive, right? And I forgot exactly the context of how we were discussing it, but you mentioned, you know, like the problem is not, yeah. you know, that the dog gets aroused and we need to stop the dog from getting aroused, but if you never address control, you know, the dog controlling its drive, yeah. something along those lines, right? You're, you're never really gonna, you're never really gonna get kind of the, the true results you want to see back home when the dog is inevitably in drive in situations. And I would almost like, like associating that to like what we're talking about right now, I would almost shift that a little bit of just like, when you see the dog being its true self, right? Like when the dog is comfortable enough Mm. in your facility or your house or with the trainer or whatever it may be, where it's going to do all of those quirky little things that they do with the owner, right? You're never actually seeing Mm -hmm. the entire dog enough to be able to, 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 to really feel like you're going to have your best fighting chance when they go home. You know, Mm -hmm. I've seen so many dogs that, yeah, when they first come in and they're nervous and stuff like that, you, you're, you know, like they, they don't do half of the things that they would do at home. And then the second they start getting comfortable enough, right. And you start seeing them do the fucking weird, uh, 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 smile because they're all happy to see you. And and you could realize that, oh, it's actually not aggression. It's just the dog smiling or, or, you know, they roll around in a certain way and get all amped up and do zoomies around the house with their hackles up growling. Right. And you realize like, oh, that's actually not, that's them just playing. Right. That's not, you know, this problem that the owner may think it is or any number of different things. If you're not seeing all of those things, do you really know the dog well enough to help the owner overcome some of those hurdles that they have at home? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, and that goes into like, like, and I'm sure young trainers will appreciate this because this is like, again, it's one of those big secrets that and you you can learn it the hard way or you can listen to this and, and learn it the easy way. It's like, if you get a dog in from an owner that's like you said, like an aggressive or fearful dog and it comes in and maybe it's like 
you know, it's barking and lunging at you on the end of the leash when it comes in with the owner and you, you put a muzzle on it. You take the leash from the owner and you yank and crank it around for a few days and suppress it, put an e-collar on it, whatever. And you do all this stuff and you're like, oh, see, I fixed it. I'm such a good trainer. Look at me. Now look at your posting on Instagram. Look at this dog passing all these dogs in the park. You know, again, suppress, right? Um, on day four of the board and train or whatever it is, or week one of the board and train, it's like, it's like, good job, buddy. And then it's like, now you send that dog home or now the owner comes to work with the dog or maybe the dog even is, and again, I've, I'm just talking from experience. Sure. That's what I mean from learning it the hard way. It's like you, you, you give the leash back to the owner on the go home day and you go to the park thinking the dog's going to do what it did with you and the fucking <laughs> dog explodes at every dog that walks by and you're like, oh shit, like maybe I'm not that good of a trainer after all. And that's a tough lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, and, but it's something, again, it's something you, you have to learn the hard way unless you unless you hear somebody give you that advice or tell you that because it's, yeah. it's what you see on social media and it's what it's like preached as the way to do it. But again, it's, it's going to happen if, if you're, you're training with those, if you're training with that mindset yeah. and in that way, you're going to, you're going to run into that problem. And maybe it's not when you hand the leash off, maybe it's a week later, maybe yeah. it's a month later, but those problems are going to come back. If yeah. all you did was suppress it, especially from day one, you know? Yeah, and I always try to caveat a lot of this stuff with like, obviously, you know, association is a very powerful thing, right? When the dog goes home and they're back in an environment they're super comfortable with, they have a lot of patterns there, they're with an owner that they have a very strong, mm -hmm. you know, positive or negative relationship, whatever it may be. Like, yes, it's, it's going to be inevitable that at some point you'll probably run into a situation with a really reactive dog where you go to the park after your training and the dog goes right back to trying to act like they were before. Like that will happen. I think the problem is when I see trainers where they're saying it's happening every single time they work with a dog. You know what I mean? When you're seeing it like such a pattern that it's like every dog you work with, you're consistently getting unhappy clients because the results aren't transferring over or the dog reverting back to every single behavioral issue that they exhibited before going, mm -hmm. uh, you know, back home or coming before coming to your training or any of that kind of stuff. If it is a really, really serious pattern that you're seeing, I think that's really where you need to start recalibrating what you're doing because it shouldn't there shouldn't be that much conflict yeah. associated with the transition back home with mm. every dog you're working with mm. yeah and i mean more when it's like especially when you're like surprised by it like yes. you know what i mean oh, like it's like point. okay yeah, yeah. like you know um and, and like when you're like okay like the dog was doing so good i had no idea it was gonna the owner was gonna take this leash and it's gonna react yeah. and then you're left with like now how do you fix it right like what do you do it wasn't part of so like for me and that's like what you said it's like I go into my training program expecting that to happen. Sure. I expect when sure, I give sure. that leash back to the owner, the dog is going to do the shit it used to do, but I have a, a rundown of ways that they're going to fix it. Yeah. I know exactly what to do to fix or what to tell the owner to do. We've yeah. worked on these concepts and worked on these principles and stuff. Right. But if you haven't done that, and if you, if you don't have like a, a maybe a plan B or like a further, you know, further ideas for the owner to get through that, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to leave them stranded. And that happens to, with so many trainers, especially here where, you know, I, it happens way too much here. I think where it's like, we'll get calls from people that said, yeah, they went to X trainer and yeah. X class. And, you know, they just kept doing the same thing saying, Oh, turn the e-caller up. Oh, use your prong call a little harder, et cetera. And, and, and it never actually like, they never get to it. And then they just ghost the client, you know, yeah. they're just, okay, I don't have any more answers for you. I don't want that. I don't actually know what to do. Whereas it's, you know what to do right from the beginning, it can be easy to kind of prevent some of that stuff. Or if you're honest with the owner, like you said, like we talked about before and you say like, 
yeah, there's going to be situations where the dog blows up, but you know how to control and correct it, get things back to a, a good a good place, and yeah. know how to prevent that from happening the next time. You know, yeah. but if you're not prepared for that, then you're going to look like an idiot. You know, and the owner's going to see that, and they're going to know you're an idiot. You know, <laughs> owners see that stuff; they know they they know when you they can tell when you're not confident walk and yeah, the yeah. dog reacts. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you're just saying, oh, well, just turn the e-collar up. Oh, turn it up again. Oh, yeah, just turn it up some more kind of thing. That's like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, yeah, they know when it's not, something's not working. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, right? Like, it's, it, it really is the problem is when you're not ready for it, right? And, and there's so many different yeah. examples. Like, you mentioned, like, like, the turning up the e-collar side of things, right? Like, there's definitely situations where, like, dogs will go home, and the problem is that they're trying to revert back to using a freaking level five to stop their dog from reacting. And the answer is turn up the e-collar higher, yeah. right? But yeah. when yeah. when you're yeah. relying yeah. – so when you're not looking at all of the variables, again, of understanding how toxic yes. – owner's yes. relationship is with their owner and all of the variables outside of exactly. the correction they're giving in the moment. That's, that's really yes. where I think the, the problem kind of lies with a lot of stuff. Um, and it's funny you were saying like, yeah. like I kind of go into all of my send homes and stuff as well. And I try to get my trainers to like, 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 you know, hope for the best, expect for the worst kind of thing, you know, like, cause at this point, like, you know, you've trained a shit ton of dogs. I trained a shit ton of dogs. Like I used to try to guess all day, like which dogs were going to like do what when they saw their owners again for the first time. And, and you know, in the past, like I was generally wrong. A lot of the times, like the dogs that would go bananas (laughs) when they saw their owners were the ones I thought were going to be cool as a cucumber and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of, you know, I always Mm -hmm. instruct owners like, you know, Anything your dog tried to do before coming here for training, they are probably going to try to do it again, but we're going to have game plans on how to address those things, right? It's to be expected. We'll get past it. The pro and I think the other big problem here too is too many trainers look at like the send home lesson and their first follow up as like programs complete then at that point, which I think that's one of the biggest changes we made to our programs over the last whatever three years, whatever it is, uh, is. We, we really don't have a timeline on it at this point. I would say regularly the standard is I'll do about six hours of training with a client post board and train. But in many cases, it teeters more towards eight to 10 hours, I would say, you know, and that could be broken up mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. you know, two months or that could be broken up over six months or whatever it may be. But like there's just they got to get through the freaking hurdles that they get back home. Then they got to get through the honeymoon period of they think they're past everything and everything feels really good. But like, it's actually just like their own freaking uh, 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 perception of like, oh, I spent all this money on training and I put in a little bit of work and things are better than they were before. But actually, you know, I'm still not as on things and and doing the things that I need to do to get the results. Then they got to make the adjustments they got to make. And like, that really, that's not even an amount of sessions thing. That's just a time thing. The owners need to go through yeah. a couple months of working with the dog and see mm-hmm. how this stuff fits into yeah. their life and make some mistakes mm-hmm. and all of that before they really get to a place where they're stable. And if you don't have that built into your mm-hmm. program, you're going to wind up with a lot of unhappy clients because they're going to go through that. And then five months later, when they inevitably have some problems and they need help with those, you're going to be like, yeah, give me more money, bro. And then they're going to be like, I just paid you $4,000 for this. What do you mean? Give me more money. Right. And uh, you just that, that kind of goes back into just I don't even know if it's it's expecting the worst and hoping for the best as much as it is just having, you know, real expectations that you're setting on the client. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so we just started our, uh, like a graduate group class we just launched. So basically that's kind of our 
supplement for people that have been through a training program with us that want to do some further training but don't want to spend the price on like an individual private session sure. um, which can can add up if you're doing multiple so we're doing a graduate group class which is just yeah it's a cheaper version of uh basically our, our sessions where they come in there's six six people that have already been through a training program so they know the they know the fundamentals we don't need to get into like the the really basic stuff of like how to use the equality they should all know this stuff and we're able to just kind of dive right into some cool setups and stuff that they can't otherwise do in any other situation, you know, whether it's like setting up pass-bys with new dogs because yeah. they haven't really met each other, um, you know, setting up obedience training sessions inside of our facility and stuff like that. So it really gives the owners a safe, comfortable environment to practice this stuff and, again, do do setups and stuff. Like we, we just had our first one yesterday, so we kind of covered like just learning where all the dogs and stuff were at, where each owner was at with their training. Um, a few of the dogs were still a little bit reactive and stuff. So we were able to kind of work on that, but it's cool because it's like, you know, you could take the dog to Lowe's and it's reactive, but maybe it's, again, it's maybe not one of those situations where you can comfortably use the correction necessary to, to stop that behavior. And so we can bring the dog into an an environment like this and, and really do what we need to do to get stuff Mm -hmm. under control. And then they can expand on that from there, you know? And so we can put these dogs into these situations, put these owners into these situations um, in a group environment and it's just you know no judgment nobody's going to get upset for them uh, yeah, at yeah. them for correcting their dog um nobody's going to get upset for them for you know walking their dog around close to other dogs and stuff like that and then we can also work on just building you know making it fun for the dogs too and you know making sure it's a good environment for the dogs to be around all the people and the other dogs and stuff yeah i dig that you know another thing is that i feel like i've kind of flipped my stance on i would say and i don't even know if i had a stance on this like from the standpoint of i thought it was ineffective i don't think that was it but from a business standpoint we never used to do a lot of in-home lessons you know just because you tack on the travel you know expense with it and the time it takes to travel and then you're driving all over the freaking world to go work with clients and stuff like that but as a follow-up option dude we do so many in-home lessons with people at this point like near the end Mm -hmm. of their program you know once things are going well but there's some extra things we want to fine-tune because i just think there's so much to seeing the dog in their actual environment you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and helping owners be able to visualize the real problems they're having not in like a mock-up situation like in a training facility or at a park they don't ever go to or anything like that um i found that to be so unbelievably valuable as far as like expediting some of the learning process for clients as well we you know we that's another thing like getting into like we try to like build a lot of this stuff into the cost of the program because i really look at like if you've paid me for training right? If I've advertised a board and train is going to be the solution for working past whatever issue it is that you're hiring me for, mm-hmm. I just can't take more. I just, there's something I just can't take more money from people. You know what I mean? So we've just, we've built it into the cost yeah. of the program and whether we got to do an in-home lesson or go to a park, or I've got a freaking client that lives like almost three hours away from us that I drove down to their house and did two in-home lessons with them just because it just need, it just needed to be done you know, and we were able to get the results we needed to get with them and, and it worked out, but it's like, did I want to eat up two entire (laughs) fucking days driving down and working with this client? Like, no, but they also paid me, you know, $4,500 for dog training. So guess what? I'm fucking doing what I need to do. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think if trainers just looked at that, I agree with that. I think they'd, I think they'd really have a lot happier of clients and they probably would have more successful clients because of it. So but yeah, the in-homes, those have been huge. No, I agree with that. 
no, I think that's super important. I think it's like critical for like for behavior modification and stuff. It's it's difficult when you can't do those kinds of in home lessons because you rely on like virtual and stuff like that. And it can be just definitely you know it's not it's not the same you know as being able to actually go and see the the owner and the dog in their environment doing things. You know um, that's very important. Even just you know making sure we have like video of the owners working with the dogs and stuff. That's always tough. It's like pulling teeth for to ask. It's so hard. It's so important. It's so important, but yeah, it never happens. You it's can ask it all so day. Hard. There's this. I don't know if you've ever seen it on the Facebook pages, but there's this dog trainer. His name's like I think Jay Randy Davis is his name, um, and he's always posting on the forums and stuff like that. But he's always like giving these really good detailed answers. But he's always says, "But we need to see a video of the dog." Yeah, and it's like nobody ever gives him the video of the dog. And it's like, he's got the answer, I'm sure. But if you don't give him the video, he's not going to get it. It's so funny. But yeah, same with asking clients for do- or videos and stuff. It's just, you never, you almost never get it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I get it. It can be difficult to hold a camera while your dog's freaking out. And it's embarrassing. Yeah. But sometimes we need to see those things to, to give an answer. If we can't be there in person, yeah. we can't always be. So yeah. 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 We do. Uh, no, the, the in-home ahead. one is important. I say the in-home is important. It's like, yeah, yeah. like, crucial yeah for sure i mean you know when you have the ability to do it it's you're just gonna see so much you know uh but yeah the the video that's that's hilarious like the amount of times i ask a client just send me a video of you trying what you're trying and and they're just like (laughs) they just can't do it (laughs) yeah just can't they just cannot do it like damn man all right well we'll we'll figure it out (laughs) you know um i do a i do a decent amount of virtual calls i actually have one shortly after this that i'm doing with somebody uh but the the there's a big difference between the clients that have the ability to set something up where I could actually watch them train their dog like via the Zoom call versus mm-hmm. the ones where it's just they're just mm-hmm. not technologically savvy enough to figure <laughs> that out. And we kind of have to just like talk through it mm-hmm. and then have them try it and then talk through it again after and stuff like that. It is such a massive difference. I had a, a couple clients I was working with where they were able to like set up like a little <laughs> tripod and then they would wear like AirPods so they could be away from the camera and still hear me and be talking to me at the same time and all that kind of stuff, man. If that's every good. client yeah. could figure that out, it's like, phew, we'd be able to do a shit ton more. That's for sure. Good luck. Sir. That's something. Yeah. That's something I want to start doing too is the virtual session. So I was going to ask how you kind of set that up like that, but that's, that's yeah. that sounds pretty simple, but that's, yeah, that's something we need to start doing as well. Cause yeah, just a lot of clients just, you know, we, uh, we're, we're pretty central, like where we are, like in, in, in our province, but yeah. people travel a long ways, you know, to come for training and stuff. So yeah. nice to have that virtual option for them for sure. What I think the virtuals are good for is not training the dog, right? Like I'm not teaching you how to do downstays and, and bedstays and all that kind of stuff, but it's more mm-hmm. about figuring out why your dog is doing the things that they're doing and helping you make the day-to-day adjustments you need to make to help combat those yeah. things. That's where mm-hmm. I find that they're the most effective. Yeah. And I think it forces you to be, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, you know, other people that are just doing like, you know, private lessons or whatever, maybe I think it forces you to be a better trainer when you can't rely on like, we're going to like spend all this time on like obedience and this and that. And you really can get to the root cause of the problem, you know, um, because so much of it is obviously like, why does a dog behave this way with you, but not with somebody else or whatever it may be. Like generally there is a massive, massive human component at play and you're, and you're doing something to nurture the problem. Right. And there's so much you could do that, that involve not doing extra things, but stopping doing certain things that, that alone, you could see such Mm -hmm. massive progress with your dogs, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. That kind of goes into like, it, I mean, it's kind of a segue, but goes in. I think, again, you kind of mentioned it, um, like with that video that's been going around of that, that trainer that's yeah. like videoing the client getting eaten by her malinois. He's like standing <laughs> back and yeah. not doing anything. And it's like, you know, it's like, that's not, obviously, that's not how you want to do that hands off approach <laughs> to training. That's not, there's no excuse for that. But there yep. can be a big benefit into, like, especially when we're talking severe behavior cases really just not touching the dog if you don't have to you know like there's especially as of lately i've been doing lots of private sessions where it's like eventually i'm going to get my hands on the dog but it's not sure. goal number one is not to take the lead from the owner and just you know show them that i can control the dog yeah it's like big fucking deal like again it's it, it goes back into that conversation if it doesn't matter what you can do it matters what the owner can do and there's something kind of fun too about challenging yourself as a trainer yeah. to deal with these problematic cases without actually yeah, yeah. but it's like kind of fun to challenge yourself like that and yeah. put, not put your hands on the dog and just see like okay what can i talk this owner through and yeah. and how far can we get and yeah, like if you see something like what's happening in those videos that <laughs> that, that other guy put out um uh, yeah my our names aren't associated um that that other guy put out but if you see those videos, it's like there's no excuse for that that's not like yeah, you know yeah. there's a time and place to jump in yeah, when, yeah. when a dog is being you know just too out of control for the sure, owner sure. to even see a, an ounce of hope sometimes that that can yeah, be yeah. one of the things we need to do is just like show them like hey like no your dog can do this but at the same time it's like if you can do it without putting your hands on the dog sometimes that's a great way to do it stress-free yeah. for the dog you know gets the owner to challenge themselves and really learn what they need to do yeah and it's like the owner needs to be coached eventually like i understand it's a little bit different of an example yeah. because there is some things like there is a human component and a dog component when it comes to dog training obviously and there are skills you could teach a dog as the trainer to make it easier to coach the owner through it obviously but like i look at it like when i was taking like mm -hmm. golf lessons mm -hmm. for example like mm -hmm. the instructor could have sat there and hit nine thousand golf balls in front of me and that's not going to make it any easier for me to then go and make the adjustments to my swing that i need to make you know what yeah. i mean so and i think a lot of times yeah. people just do like the trainer working with the dog because they're not confident enough in their skills to be able to coach the human through the things that they need to do right which is just you're delaying the inevitable yeah. of they're just not going to get the knowledge that they need at that point right so yeah i, I agree with you completely on that yeah. i think uh yeah. i think that the 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 ability to like mm -hmm. talk the person through things in real time is so essential you know just make sure you get to them before they their clothes turn into swiss cheese yeah right you know? i was gonna say yeah that's i'd be so that's crazy that whole situation so like did you what's up did you like i, I when i when that came out i knew right from the beginning like that who that guy was i don't know if you guys did i know you follow who he, that guy before yeah yeah this so, whole situation yeah i remember i i talked about it a little bit on the podcast we did the other day um i was i i, I, I haven't listened to that one yet yeah it's 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 nothing super juicy, but whatever. Uh, it's uh, it's the the I'm guy. The guy was I was friends with him on Facebook for a long time, like not business profiles, just like person to person Facebook friends, yeah, right? Yeah. And I've never interacted with him before oh, in my life, but I would always see the things that he would post, and he's just a he's a, he's an ambitious guy, you know what I mean? Whatever, like the dude's always had like eight mm -hmm. gazillion different like like agencies and like marketing companies and this and that, that he's tried to create and, and whatever. And it's like, you I, know think, what I mean, go ahead. I think, I think it's mental illness on full display is what I think. Cause yeah. I've been following him for quite a while too on his like Instagram and his Facebook. Yeah. And I think he's, I think he's severely mentally ill. Like I think he literally has a perception of himself. What's that? Like a grandiose percent. What's that called? Like a, whatever that, that, 
psychological term is, but I think yeah. he has this perception of himself that is Narcissism? so far is that from what reality is. Is that the word? Well, no. Yeah, like he literally is so far from reality with who he actually is yeah. that it's like kind of mind blowing. Yeah. And I think like through his Instagram, like because he did have a little bit of success in like 15 minutes of fame as a dog trainer um, for a little while. I mean, I think that's how I kind of found out about him. Yeah. But then, like, yeah, you'd follow him and you'd see he's like on the side, he's doing like stand up comedy and he's like, you know, one of the, he's like yeah, a yeah. professional development coordinator. He's got like six different businesses, but like it's three different dog training businesses, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, and like all this shit. And then, like, again, you see him sharing all this stuff. And even back then, I thought it was mental illness, you know. Yeah. But then I saw when this stuff was coming out with this girl, I actually, my first assumption was that he was staging the whole thing. And okay, that so it was like, you know. We a, had some people on YouTube that were commenting that, like, saying that they thought it was staged. Yeah. Which, I just, I don't know, yeah. man. I just don't think, I, I think that it is a little weird how it's like, you know. Like she left the review, right? She left him obviously a very positive review. Then all these videos came out, right? Then when it started blowing up, it became a problem. But like we kind of like put the pieces together and like, you know, like obviously like he like he's he he probably knows a little bit about training a dog where he could get the dog to like stop pulling a sure. little bit, maybe not bite her as much and all that kind of stuff. And we know that he's the king of trying to exploit things for views, right? Like that's like why mm -hmm. he tried to start like an agency and stuff is because he's like, he thinks he's like a social media wizard, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And obviously from that yeah. lady's standpoint, she could have had a good experience, but then just realized she was getting exploited. And then at that point, you know how quickly it is yeah. for people to just shift their entire perception of maybe before they thought things were okay, but now it's like everything is, you know, terrible and, and you're, you're kind of just being a piece of shit now, which is why she kind of came out then and, and made her video and kind of backtracked on the review and like all that kind of stuff. The only thing that I said was we were watching like her response video that she made to him. I don't know if you saw that one or not, but um, she, she made a video basically like explaining mm -hmm. everything that happened and all that. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I saw some of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so at one point in the video though, she did say, she's like, my dog has absolutely never acted like this before. And he's never done this before. And the only reason why he did it is because he knew something was wrong with this Dylan guy and he just didn't want me to leave him there anymore. To that part, I would say I've heard that conversation a million times before. Like, I definitely <laughs> don't believe for one second that that dog has never done that behavior before. Though. Yeah. Like, that's, that, that is like the only, I think only I, part that I would say. I think it's more of like, if I had to look at it now that I've seen that stuff come out, like, I, I don't think maybe, I don't really think it's set up anymore. Yeah. I mean, I still wouldn't necessarily put it past the whole thing was set up, but I, I don't think so. Um, but I think it was more of like an owner that didn't know what they didn't know. You know, it's like, yeah, sure. I think she didn't realize that that's a really fuck. Like that's not at what training should look like. I yeah. don't think she realized that that's not like how a Malinois should be behaving. Yeah. I'm sure he was there the whole time saying, no, this is what they do. They bite, they do all this. Yeah. I would even go as far as to say that I, I believe that the dog has never acted that way with her to that extremeness, to that level of, you know, um, to that level, because I think it's, I think the dog is in a stressful situation. I think especially if it did just get dropped off for a boredom train with this guy and what she said is true. I think the dog was probably like just totally wound up and stressed out, get me out of this situation. And we've seen dogs do, you know, crazy shit like that, you know, when they're, when they're acting that way. And especially with a Malinois that's just over the top excited. If he's telling you to do all these different things that are just 
creating more frustration and stuff like that, then that kind of issue is going to come out versus if the owner just really let the dog live a pretty carefree life, it maybe never took that level of frustration out on her, or maybe not in that yeah. way. Maybe it came out in different ways. I think if, I think if the, even then, I don't know. But. Yeah, sure. Sure. Obviously we're just it, it, making our best educated guesses here. Obviously. I think if I only saw the video of them trying to get the dog in the crate, I would say that because like, clearly that dog was not going in that crate and was going to do anything that he needed to do to get that woman to not put him in that crate. Right. But like a lot of the other videos were just her in the yard, trying to play tug with the dog. Right. And the dog just kind of kept redirecting on her arm and her clothes and all of that. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we could say that that was just bleeding over from maybe they did the crate stuff first and he was still wound up probably like hypothetically. Yeah, I, I, I could I could understand that. I just don't know, man, that dog, that dog really seemed like in a lot of the clips, not all of the clips mm -hmm. that he seemed like that was all just like a big game to him. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Well, that's and that's what I mean. Like, that's why I thought it was staged because it seemed yeah, yeah, like yeah. the dog like knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It seemed like he knew to be gentle enough yeah, and that the sure. owner was like, seemed like the owner of the dog was like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, and I did see like the blood and stuff. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just like some poor like immigrant sure. woman that he hired or paid. Like, <laughs> and again, like I'm not putting that past this Dylan guy to just give some person <laughs> off the street three grand to like get bit by a Malinois for a couple hours for some videos and then like be on their way. You know, I'm not saying that that's not possible. Yeah. But back to the whole mental illness thing. Now it's like you look at the. I don't know if you saw like the replies he put on like that. The, the, yes, he that had one like a, a the alligator mom. Oh yeah, he had page. like a thousand comments that he was leaving on there. That's what I mean. Like that's the kind of thing that yeah. mental illness people, like people with mental illness, do. And then you see if you looked at his yeah. Facebook page, which I went over there just the other day to see what was going on, um, and it's just him sharing years old videos and content of him getting good reviews and doing work with dogs. Yeah, because again, I really think he's like in this position where he's like sees himself as somebody he's entirely not, yeah. you know, it's like he thinks he's this big marketing social media wizard, dog yeah. trainer guru. And I think it's all coming crashing down and we're going to see a big mental illness break from him. Yeah. And who knows what's going to happen. Okay. So here's my, my, my follow-up question to that. Right. So obviously this video has gone so bananas viral. Like it's insane, not just from his original posts, but like everybody else that's posted at this point, like it's probably amassed hundreds of millions of views at this point. Right. Excuse mm -hmm. me. That, which is again, which is insane. Crazy. Like it, it's that's almost so many makes you think views. that it could still be set up. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. It's like, even, even if he never, that's even if he never has to train another dog again, or yeah, can't, yeah. he's <laughs> probably, he's probably pretty set for now. So, I mean, yeah. So, so here's my question, right? So somebody commented on YouTube, like just like an hour ago on like one of the clips that we posted of it and was like, oh, thank you for sharing this. We all need to stand together against, you know, dog abuse and stuff like that. And this is where I'm like, I don't think that was dog abuse necessarily. Right? Like, no. I think that was just <laughs> shitty training. Yeah. That was client right? abuse. So, so, yeah, right? Like, like so, so, like, I don't think that was dog abuse. I don't necessarily think this guy needs to go over, go to jail over this. Now, like, the lady made some claims that, like, he, the dog was being poorly treated in his care and stuff like that. That's a separate conversation. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, yeah. if that's the case, like, that's, that's, yeah. that's, you teeter, you teeter on the line a little bit right there. Uh, but just from a training standpoint, seeing those videos, that's just, like, he kind of just got exposed for shitty training, right? Yeah. So, so. Forget the the does he have mental illness or does he not have mental illness? Just off this situation, how do you view like like the court of public opinion obviously 
it seems like if you read a lot of the things people are posting, some people are from the lens of this guy should never touch dogs ever again. Others are just saying this is horrible training and he should just not be a trainer anymore. This, that, like, do you personally feel this guy needs quote unquote ramifications over this situation? Yeah, I do. I think that that girl needs to lawyer up and sue his ass for whatever, like fraud, I guess, like um, incompletion of services, whatever she can sue him for, because there's enough video footage and probably enough professional opinion for her to win that case, you know? Um, and that's a, I would, I would also be suing for all of the money gained from all those videos. That's a big thing that I'd be doing if I was in her position. I'd be finding that's a lawyer a that's going to get ah. me every dollar that comes in from one of those videos. Cause that's my money. You know, you got taken you advantage exploited of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fraudulent service. Yeah. Exploitation. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Exploited. <laughs> right. And, and, and the services were never rendered clearly. That's obvious on video. Yeah. Now, again, if he has that review that says, you isn't know, that where it's, it's tough though, because get hairy, but right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to court. I'm still I'm still yeah, going yeah. to court if I was her, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I, like I, I said, it's like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you from the standpoint of like, if you're ever in a position with a trainer where it's like this person just fucking scam, if you genuinely feel like this person scammed you out of money, right? Like we've seen a gazillion times before people that hire somebody for training, that trainer not achieving absolutely anything for this client right and and we're not even talking like situations with a client just didn't put in the work we're just talking a trainer that failed a client right and then that trainer tries to just lean back into the fucking contract that says guarantees aren't you know we don't fucking provide guarantees and Mm -hmm. this and that blah blah and says no fuck you i'm not going to give you your money Mm -hmm. back and then that client is just like well i guess i'm shit out of luck and i think that's a big problem Mm -hmm. in in the dog world right now and i think from an individual case by case standpoint yeah if you're in that position like this lady if she feels he didn't provide results which again the review is where it gets tricky because she did leave him a very positive review on like Google or whatever the fuck it was. Mm -hmm. But let's say she never left that review and all of this happened and she's still in the exact same position she was before. Like, yeah, you're fucking, you're entitled to some shit over it. The other sketchy part though is the the views off of, or or the money from like, like the views and stuff on the video. I guess that would be contingent on if in his contract, he has a photo and video release on it, right? Because like, I know in our contract, like we have a photo video release in ours, right? So like if we take videos, right, we're allowed to video you, we're allowed to video your dog. And I discussed in the podcast episode we did, obviously you need to use your best like PR judgment on like what you post and what you don't post to not make your client look like a fucking idiot. But if a video, I I guess my problem is, let me gather my thoughts here, hold on. I guess my issue is, why like so we could call it exploiting her for the views and stuff right but if legally he was allowed to take video and those were his videos past just getting her money back for the services unrendered why would she be entitled to the money from the views this is me kind of playing devil's advocate for this though i don't disagree with you you know I think it's worth asking. It's worth asking a lawyer because I would bet, even though we have these video release is in our contract, which we do have, mm-hmm. I bet it doesn't cover for monetary gain from their likeness, from using their likeness to make money. Uh-huh. I'm sure that there's some other thing that we would need to mm-hmm. include in our contracts if we want to cover for that. Um, some lawyer could, I'm sure, you know, maybe win that case, especially if there's lots of money being made off of it. Yeah. You know, even if it, there's a video release, that just covers like, yeah, you can video me. But it doesn't mean you can make millions of dollars mm. off of me, right? That's like a, I'm sure yeah. there's some sort of law that covers that. That's an interesting spin on it. 
that I, I absolutely, yeah, that's, that is, you, worth ask a lawyer. you have to ask a lawyer. I have no idea. That is absolutely mm. worth looking into because I'm like, going to phone my lawyer after, right after this. I, no, a hundred percent. Right. Because I look at it this, like, let's say you have a client and it, the whole experience was great and you did everything perfectly. Right. And you've got a video yeah. that goes yeah. bananas viral and gets a hundred million views on YouTube and YouTube pays out monetarily very well for, for obviously AdSense on, on videos and stuff like that. And you do make a hundred thousand dollars off of that video. Right. Yeah, at that point, is that I don't know, you know, is that client entitled to some of that? That is an interesting, uh, interesting question. No, mm -hmm. ask a lawyer. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Well, um, right on. yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, cool. Well, what else is uh, anything else going on at the at the facility? You said business is good. Have you guys seen? Um, I don't know what's going on as far, I guess, I mean, you're in a different fucking country. I mean, I feel like we've had some, like, we've had over the last year a lot of, like, economical uh, uh, ups and downs, I would say, where, you know, we've stayed very busy, but we've definitely noticed different patterns as far as, you know, how much people are signing up for certain services over others, et cetera, et cetera. And it's funny, like, the last, like, mm -hmm. I would say a lot of people that I know in the industry, like, you know... November, December was like a little bit lower than they were used to seeing. But for me, and I, and I saw that as well, but for me so far, January has been like as busy as fucking ever. Like we've been like right mm -hmm. back to like, I feel like mm -hmm. normal oh, yeah. as far as stuff. Have you guys been pretty steady with stuff or? <clears throat> yeah. So, um, that's, yeah, it's been a big problem, right. For, for it seems like the whole industry has been going through this downturn. Yeah. Um, I saw like a thing recently, um, again, amongst like some of the, you know, I'm friends with some people that are like on some larger facilities down in the States too, like probably your size kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, they're going through the same kind of issues where it's like, they're having trouble filling their kennels and stuff like that. Yep. Um, having trouble, like, you know, filling programs and stuff like that, having to lay people off. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely one of those things that I think it seems like the whole industry is going through. I saw something the other day that said like Google search results for people searching for dog training is at an all time low right now. Something that I saw recently shared, um, like as far as Google analytics says, um, I don't know if that's true or not, but with that said, like we've had the busiest January, I think we've ever had this, this year. Like we're, you know, Likewise. we're doing really well right now. Like yeah. our kennels are full right now. Um, we had a couple slow months in like November, December. Yep. That was kind of our doing though. Cause that was when I had to go to, to, to the Ivan school uh, and we kind of yeah. just took a bit of a break from training and stuff then. Um, so things really slowed down then, which is kind of stupid on our end. And then through Christmas, you know, it was a little slow through December, which is typical. We're used to that. Things people don't want to spend that much money right before Christmas. We were full with boarding. Like our kennels were full yeah. over Christmas with boarding, but not with training. But as far as January goes and February goes, by the looks of things, we're on track for some records for, for this this year, for sure. Things keep yeah. going the way they're going right now. Um, but I know other people aren't feeling the same. So, yeah. so obviously there's some something, you know, we just, something. We had, that, a, we had a, like, a, uh, like maybe a year or two ago, like we were like, like we couldn't, like we were like beating people off with a stick that wanted to fucking <laughs> sign up for training with us, you yeah. know? And uh, it was insane. And we fully were able to capitalize on it. I mean, we were able to kind of expand in a way where we were able to kind of render most of those services that we had the demand for. And, and it was awesome. But we're kind of, you know, I would say mm -hmm. near middle of uh, middle of last year, not just from a standpoint of the demand was lower than before, but we really wanted to take this this idea of like, 
scaling back down a little bit, you know, and focusing a little bit more. And not that mm -hmm. we never focus on quality, obviously, but like seeing what ways we could do to take the training to the next level and continue to make it like more and more of a boutique service for people um, and provide more, like yeah. we talked about, like adding the in-home lessons in and, and just doing more support with the clients post-training and like all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like the best thing that we could have done because like we're kind of back to like we're busy, we're full, like I think we're putting out the best work we've ever put out at this point, you know, the reviews are fantastic still, all that kind of stuff. And the other side of things too is like I, I looked at it like last year when things started kind of slowing down a little bit and I noticed that downturn in the industry, I was like, well, there's still like seven fucking board and train facilities within a, a 40 mile radius of us. You know what I mean? And they're obviously getting mm -hmm. bored. They, they're probably slower as well, but they're getting board and trains. So we just need to, I just, I just looked at it as like a challenge of we need to make ourselves more undeniably better than these other places so that it's like, I'm not going to fucking go out of business. Exactly. Right. Like I want to yeah. take that business from everybody else. And at that point, that's kind of like that, that, uh, that uh, uh, competition side of me or, or, or whatever, you, world. whatever you call yeah. it. You know what I mean? And um, I try to stay pretty mm -hmm. aware of like just through like social media and stuff like that of like what a lot of the other places are doing. And seems like it's working. That's all yeah. I'll say. <laughs> well, the, I think the yeah. big thing yeah. that you guys were talking about earlier, you know, if you're just kind of that trainer that never brings people back like people always have those kind of issues and they just don't yeah. aren't, don't become reoccurring clients they don't tell people about <laughs> you like those mm -hmm. are the people that are going to start mm -hmm. suffering a lot more now because people are tightening their wallets like yeah. you know it's not all willy-nilly like let's just go out there and get our dog trained now they're taking the time to you know kind of see maybe follow a bunch of different trainers on instagram and mm -hmm. see yeah. who vibes with them more so people are still spending the money, but they're they're just being more cautious of it. So it's like the people that are doing the good work and having the better reviews and, and the more, yeah. uh, what do you call it, word of mouth, yeah. I think, are the ones that, you know, you guys are doing great work. So you're, you're still getting all these clients that are coming back and telling yeah. other people about you guys. Mm -hmm. So you're having these records when some people are like, oh, it's kind of on the downhill right now. Yeah, just give them yeah. more reason to spend the money with you. Awesome. You know, that's yeah. it. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so we um, so we, we, we got into it. I don't think when we last talked, I was back. I was at my old place back then, still running the business at my home back then. Yeah. Um, like the, the, the home we were renting. Oh, yeah, we're in a facility I actually. Now, so we oh, have, like, shit, I forgot about it's that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're in like a we're in like a thirty five hundred square foot facility now. I, I mean, my house is still attached to the facility, which is kind of cool. So I still live on site. Yeah. But we have like a large training room, a large kennel room, all that good stuff. Um, so I'm I'm in the unique position where, as far as I know, we're really like one of the one of if not the only balanced dog training facility in this area. Really, like within you know a couple hours of my city. And I'm in a really big city too. So like there's over a million people in this city. So um, all the other balanced trainers seem to be done like either out of like facilities that they rent for classes periodically or out of their home. Um, whereas I have that, that, that opportunity or that, 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 um, that benefit of being, you know, one of the only ones in an indoor facility. So yeah. especially here where we see like such cold temperatures, such warm winters and stuff, having that ability to train indoors year round has been a, like a godsend for us yeah um you know the past the past little bit and i think going forward especially the more we advertise that the more the more that will attract clients yeah. you know we're um yeah like now you know our capacity's obviously increased quite a bit and stuff which is 
this is where it gets into like now it's like now we're having to to account for that extra capacity the extra staff so we really have to increase business tenfold and it's like you know it's it it becomes this kind of this stressful thing where it's like sometimes you're like okay i just want to downsize and go back to doing things with just a couple people and you know five or six dogs kind of thing but at the end of the day it's you know having having such a large operation it can be like i said more stressful but the benefits of it are are really awesome you do have to balance though like like you were saying like as you grow with facilities and i know like happens so often especially like you know places in the states and stuff i I think more so than here where places grow where they they're so big that they actually they're not it's it's quantity over quality right and yeah yeah. and 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 maybe they rely on like you know like big marketing and like commercials and stuff like that to to draw clients in but those clients are only coming once yeah and they're not telling anybody about you because they didn't have a good experience and you can only burn through those kinds of clients so many times before there's no more clients to burn through and then even if you're in a well-populated area even if you're spending all this money on marketing you're not getting clients at a certain point and that's that's why so i think like and maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm assuming you don't really pay for much marketing if any um I do a lot of social media marketing, but I don't do marketing from the standpoint. Like, I feel like there's two ways you can kind of market. You can market like an ad targeted to people to try to get them to sign up for dog training, right? Like you'll see Sit Mean Sid or Off Leash Canine and stuff. They'll do a post that's like, want your dog to walk well on a leash? Well, our program is on sale. Come support now, blah, 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 you know? We do um, we do marketing just to get people into our circle, right? So I get people to follow us on social media. Mm-hmm. That's all of our ads are targeted in a way where it's a video that's going to get you to follow us. So you could be in our circle. We could start to build rapport and trust with you. And then uh, the way I look at it is, and we don't market to like a specific area. I market to just USA, right? Like everywhere, uh, everywhere of people that might be interested in our content, right? And I feel like everybody knows somebody that knows somebody that owns a dog. So like <laughs> the more eyes yeah. we can get on us, the more our word of mouth spreads and the more the potential of a, a customer coming in is. And we see all the time, like people that we market to, they'll start following us and then, you know, they'll follow us for three months, right? And they'll really get into the content, mm-hmm. start listening to the podcast and, and follow us on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And then three months, and then maybe they'll ask a couple questions. We reply back to them and stuff. And then three months later, they're like, wow, like I really jive with this place. Like I'm interested in actually signing up for a virtual or I'm interested in signing up for an in-person program or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, I would say, um, how we look at, at marketing from our standpoint. I mean, this client that just came into town from Chicago, that's, that's how they found us. I mean, they, they found us online, uh, through, I think like an ad or something and started nice. following us for a while and then decided they wanted to travel up here and do some training, mm-hmm. you know? So, but yeah, not marketing mm-hmm. from that mm-hmm. standpoint, but yeah, we, we do have a marketing budget. I do think it's important to, you know, to, to invest yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. He pays me. <laughs> Yeah, that's the other thing too. Is you look at like our well, yeah, kind of budget is is really yeah, high. That is that is like the marketing in itself as well. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, definitely. It's it's one of those things where it's like, it's the difference between like you said, like putting out those posts that are just broadcasted to everybody. Like, yeah, you want your dog trained? We can we can help. Yeah, yeah. Or call us today to book your you know free evaluation things like that. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't like you know, and like you get those, and again, like I don't. I don't do like, I don't really I will pay for like Facebook ads and stuff like that, but I don't do like the you know like where you have to pay for calls and stuff like that. No, where like yeah, trainers yeah. are paying sure. like fifty bucks or a hundred bucks just yeah, to yeah. get a phone call from a yeah, client, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like from yeah. marketing companies and stuff. 
like that kind of thing, I think is like, you know, you, you start attracting the wrong clients and stuff yes. too, right. Mm-hmm. That aren't actually, you're wasting your time answering phone calls. You're wasting yeah. your time and you know, some of that stuff. Right. A long time ago, we used to do a lot of Google AdWords, which is like, you know, you pay per click and stuff and we would get a shit ton yeah, of contact yeah. forms in from people. But yeah, everybody I would talk to, because when you get into this like boutique service level where like you're very expensive, right? You're looking for a very particular type of person and the person really needs to be in a very particular stage in their relationship with their dog mm-hmm. in yep. order to want to sign up. The amount of people is, is is high from a number standpoint, but from a percentage wise, it's not that high. So yeah, we would call these people and yeah, we'd be paying, I think at the time it was like $25 a click or something like that. And it's like, we would just be wasting our time. We'd call somebody, we'd tell them the price to be like, nobody would ever pay that, right? Click, right? And and that would just be happening so often where our marketing, again, is it's built on this concept of we want to just establish trust with people and we want them to want to work with us Mm -hmm. before I ever speak with them, you know, so that Mm -hmm. the the return Mm -hmm. on it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to, you're not trying to sell the dog training on the phone when you're booking them. The mm-hmm. dog, it's already been sold, you know, you've already yeah. sold them on it. Now they're trying to, they're trying to get you to take their money, not the other way around. <laughs> like if you're in a position where yeah. you're trying to, trying to take other people's money, then that's like, you know, if you're trying to get the money from them, that's the wrong way to do it. You know, you want them to want to give you their money. That's, that's the end goal, right? Yeah. Of any advertising. Yeah. Should be. For sure. Yeah. Well, dude, congrats on the on yeah. the the expansion. So, did you have that space built? It looks like like a new steel building or something. No, it's um it's an old shitty steel building. It's actually it's like a it's on a farm. So, we we rent this. So, we rent the property from uh, the landlord. And the landlord lives on the property. He's got a house situated just just up from the the facility. Um and then we have an apartment that's attached to the facility. So, I live here on site with my partner. Um, pretty much 24 yeah. seven, um, but we rent the space and it's just a shop that was built on the property previously. Um, so, so right now, like it works for us. It's like I said, it's an, it's a, it really is a perfect sp- space. Like yeah. I, I wish I owned the property. I really do. And maybe at some point in time we can get to that point. Um, but even just being able to rent a space like this with its location to the city, yeah. it's only like 15 minutes from the city. It's in a very affluential part of the part of the, the province really. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just beautiful country. We have acreage property that we got multiple acres of free space for the dogs, plus the big facility, indoor facility, fully heated and everything. Um, so so it's awesome in that regards. But yeah, it's not. I, I have and even like honestly, like even lately, especially like with things kind of picking up, I've been looking at like okay, what is it going to cost to build a facility? You know, what's it going to cost to actually some build something of my own that's like perfect? Because now that I'm in a space, I, I have all these ideas that like I could change to make it better yeah um because yeah right now it's like it's good for what we're doing right now but there are limitations yeah um we're supposed to have we're supposed to have a big we're supposed to have forest mickey come out here for a I seminar that. in June. Yeah, yeah. that's cool so that's gonna be our yeah so that'll be like our first big seminar really like you know um but even then it's like we have a limitation on how many people we can have on the property and stuff because we don't own the property yeah we have limitations on you know uh, we have limitations on what we can add and, and do to the property and stuff to make it the perfect dog training facility. Yeah. Um, and so, so those are all things that like, if I had my own space that I owned and had built from the ground up, there's things I would definitely do different. Yeah. Um, but, but no, from, from where we were before to where we are now, it's a tenfold improvement. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so much more enjoyable training the dogs, the dogs enjoy it more, the staff enjoys it more. Yeah. Um, the extra space and stuff, the clients, the clients especially enjoy it more. Yeah. So, it's it's great. Yeah, we've been uh 
we've been we've been renting for god almost almost 10 years now and it's just i mean i would love to i think the idea of having your own space would be cool because like every time like you know we just did a freaking you know ten thousand dollar fence install right we have five thousand dollars of new turf added in because of that you know i've got a freaking company there right now cleaning and, and shit you know what i mean like a wave of relief, a wave of relief just washed over with you saying that because yeah. I'm not the only idiot who's no, spending no, no, my own money on a rental we, property. You know, it's like we've probably we've probably put easily a hundred and fifty thousand dollars into over the years, okay, you know, good. into renovations and stuff like that into our spaces that we have, and it's like. Yeah, that's a lot of money, but I have no fucking liability when it comes to our one unit flooded like uh 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 over the over the summertime right like not in we weren't, we weren't yeah, of course. there or anything like that so it wasn't that major but like that was on the landlord right like we had some roof issues right that was on the landlord right like like all that kind of stuff like we have no major liability associated with all of that and mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. any point like obviously i'm locked into right now i think yeah. like a five-year lease or something like that but um you know, if let's say the industry, I think we might have talked about this a little bit last time. If the industry continues to move towards digital training, virtual training, stuff like that, the demand for in-person stuff is going to continue getting lower and lower, which means you're going to need less space. And then you're stuck with this big ass fucking, you know, warehouse building or, or steel building that you need to like offload or just continue spending the money on when you don't actually need it. Right. Like, Yes, again, it, it would be nice, but the the freedoms of of not owning are also very nice as long as you get a good enough deal. Like our landlord is really cool. We don't pay a ridiculous amount in rent or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with you know putting the money into making it how I want it. Um, you know, per the mm-hmm. the amount I'm saving in the long run. So yeah, yeah. I used to like. I used to like. Now that I'm. Because, again, we're in a pretty big city, like, as far as, especially as far as Canadian cities go, it's probably, like, the third biggest city. Um, and, like, I used to have, like, a dream of, like, having a facility kind of like your like your guys or, like, Tyler Muto's place, like, the canine connection place, where it's, like, kind of, like, right situated, yeah. you know, within the community. You know, you walk out the front door and you're in the city kind of thing. Yeah. That used to be kind of, like, my goal. But now that I've kind of had a taste of this, like, having an acreage that's just outside the city, like not so far outside the city that nobody's going to want to come out here sure. and that it's like treacherous yeah. to drive, but just far enough where it's like easy to get to, but still in the country and you have the property and stuff. Yeah. It's like, now nah, this is like the ultimate goal and the ultimate, ultimate dream. So, yeah. so like for, for me, it's like when we, when we grow out of this place, like that would be the next idea yeah. would be, you know, another acreage that I can own or, you know, a house on the property kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person I like being at work all the time. I like living yep. at work kind of thing. Um, some people couldn't do that, but it's kind of what I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I think if we weren't, we're located so close to like some of Cleveland's biggest parks that we get the access to all the yep. land and stuff like that still. Right. So it makes it more tolerable <laughs> where like, pff, I, I mean, I remember I visited Blake's facility in New York one time and bro that place is tiny as tiny. shit mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i that i could not imagine. yeah and i bet they pay a yeah. billion dollars a month for it right? yeah 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 uh-huh well hell yeah man i mean listen like it from I, so is the board is the boarding a new service that you're offering then with the extra space or did you offer it before no we yeah we've always done boarding but it's only for past clients like we only do yeah. boarding for past clients still which is which is the way we want to keep it you know i think you kind of do the similar thing like you're yeah. mm-hmm. you know i don't really like to work with dogs that i haven't put my hands on, especially with boarding and stuff it's you know leaving them with my kennel techs and stuff is not the best so yeah. so we always try to have done training with them um 
there's the odd exception we'll make, but otherwise, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't really ever want to get into it. Even if I, I would never want to get into doing just general boarding. Oh, That's no. just, yeah, yeah. that gets gross then I think, you know. We, we yeah. did things backwards where we started off with offering like boarding and daycare to anybody. And then training was like an extra service. So we were like a kennel yes. that also did training. Right. Yeah. And then we flip flopped obviously to being a training facility that also offers kennel services. Mm-hmm. And I would never in a gazillion years think about going back to it. It is just not worth it. <laughs> Hell. Yeah. No. Um, and yeah. obviously, with the more yeah. it's funny you were talking about, you know, is things like expand yeah. and stuff, like different issues with like you know staffing or all that kind of stuff, dude. If you ever, um, I've, I've learned so many hard mistakes like through like expanding and shrinking and like all that kind of stuff, dude. If you ever have any questions on that stuff, just reach out because <laughs> there's oh, absolutely there's yeah. so much yeah, there's no, so much sure. bullshit that can come with it. So. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy, and it's like you know, you find a spot where it's like, you know. You have this idea that you want to keep growing and become this big, like maybe franchise owner or something like that. But then you realize yeah. it's like how how out of control things get, both with like the quality of the training that's put out and just the, yeah. the stress associated with that. It's like I kind of think fuck that, you know. Yeah. It's like so for me, like I you know I have no desire to grow beyond what we're doing with dog training here. But I'd love to do like other like I'd like like to open a coffee shop that's dog friendly or something like that. Like that's one of the goals for me kind of thing. So dog related stuff, but outside the training aspect of things yeah. is kind of where I would expand myself. Cause yeah, like, you know, like I said, even, even as I have a large facility now, it's like, I enjoy it, but this is about as big as I think I would want to get. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dope. You got anything else you want to add, Josh? No, I'm good. All right. Last question. I know you've gotten into the whiskey thing lately. What's your current favorite yeah. bottle that you have? Yeah. So okay. So we were like we said we were just in Vegas here, right for the for the shot show. We're back in Vegas, and we actually house? went on a little liquor tour there. Yeah. Um, pardon? Did you go to Nevada Distillery Smokehouse at all, or no? That is um. That's a uh, smoke smoke, smoke wagon. wagon yeah, isn't smoke it? wagon. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I don't like their stuff. Really? I don't like their bourbon. Oh, man. Like their, I've like, only tried I their small batch. You know, I like not, their small batch. Okay, I, I, and maybe I have to try it. Like, I got a bottle of their stuff from Costco, is where I got it from when I was there, and it might have just been like their their like bottom of the barrel stuff. But it was wasn't my favorite, um, especially for the price. But so when we were in Vegas this time, we went on a little liquor tour. We went to a couple of the big like liquor stores there. Yeah, yeah. There's just some like really like liquor stores that carry some like really like you know, exclusive bottles and stuff like that, right? So we went to one and like they have like all the Pappy Van Winkles and stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah. thousand dollars, thousands yeah, of yeah. dollars for these bottles of whiskey and stuff like that, right? Um I you know, I we went to this uh, the one store that we went to that I bought from, I bought a bottle of E. H. Taylor, uh I think it's small batch. Yeah. Um, e. H. Taylor. Yeah. Um that so that for me is like that's honestly one of my favorite yeah. bourbons is the E.H. Taylor, and I cannot find it here in Canada. Yeah, and it was the only bottle that they had there in that particular like that that yeah. store that chain. So I picked that up and like I, I still ha- I have that right now. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy that. But we um my my buddy while we were down there, my buddy Jeremiah and Rob too, they both bought a bottle of, and maybe you've heard of it, but I think it was uh, Garrison. Garrison, um, yeah, Garrison, yeah. something Garrison. It's got the big star it's on like it. A sheriff. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like it, it literally has a metal that comes with it yeah, with yeah. the sheriff's like logo on it. Yeah. And it comes in a box that looks like a coffin. Yeah. It's like a three hundred dollar bottle of bourbon they, they bought and it's like seventy percent seventy percent content. Yeah. We never actually cracked into it while I was down there, which is kind of sad. So I'm sure I'll try it next time I see those guys. Yeah. Um I'd like to try something like that. But but no, for me, like E.H. Taylor is one of my favorites, which I think people are not gonna like that. Like I feel like a lot of people no, don't really dude, like that bourbon, but I'm a big, popular. big fan of it. Oh yeah, it's a super popular one right now. Yeah, and I, I yeah, and I like my Blantons and stuff too. You know, yeah, um, I like Blantons quite a bit. I I only like bourbon though. Like I really don't like rye. I don't like you know Canadian whiskey is all like really rye heavy whiskey, and like yeah. I cannot drink Canadian whiskey. It just it ruins me and it makes me not feel very good, and I don't like the taste of it. Yeah. And then Scotch, you know, I've never been into Scotch or anything like that. So I'm not a whiskey connoisseur so much as I just like cheap bourbon. You know? Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. I like it. I've got uh, m- one of my recent ones. So I counted the other day. It's gotten it's gotten out of control. Actually, it's, it's insane. Um, I think I have. <laughs> I think I counted the other day, and I have sixty four bottles now at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so like, like I have like gotta, I have like buy the extras of stuff too. Like I have two bottles of the the EH small batch. I recently got the entire collection of Blantons, like all seven bottles. I have three bottles of Blantons gold at this point, just because anytime I find it, because you can't find it anywhere, I just buy it. Um, my newest mm-hmm. one that I got though mm-hmm. that I really like is the uh, the Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, which won like I think won Bourbon of the Year last year or something like that, like their C923 blend or whatever or batch. Um, mm-hmm. That one's mm-hmm. really good if you if you get your your eyes on that, get it because it's super high proof. It's like um, I think it's like 130 proof or something like that. So you know, just over 60 percent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super good, great flavor. You'll like it. So. Yeah, we don't like this. I, and I don't know for sure, but just seeing what I saw down in like Vegas and stuff like that, like the bourbon selection that you guys have, which obviously makes sense. It's like yeah. it's so much more expansive than what we have up here. Like I said, like just yeah. for me to find a bottle of E.H. Taylor is kind of difficult. Like well, we have can't the, find that the, anywhere the, either. The, the big names and yeah. stuff like that. But anything yeah. Buffalo Trace, which E.H. Blanton's regular Buffalo Trace, Weller, all that. Yeah, you basically it's all at least by us. It's all allocated, so you have to basically go wait in line to get it. Yes. So yeah. Okay, so it's yeah, so that's a little bit of a harder one to find then for sure. But um, but still, it's like yeah, you know, we have lots of like our Canadian whiskey, which obviously when I come down there, like you guys don't have much of that. But so when I come <laughs> yeah. down there, I like to definitely sample the different bourbons and stuff like that. But oh, yeah. I'll we'll have to look for that. I'll have to see if I can find that. Yeah, cool. Uh, you got anything else you wanna you wanna throw in? Tell the people anything. No, just like I said, like we got uh, Forrest Mickey coming out here um, beginning of June. I think it's the first weekend of June. I want to say like June 8th weekend or something like that, I believe. So that'll be, yeah, he's going to come up for two days to do a seminar. Um, that's in Calgary, Alberta. That's where we're located. So if any of your listeners are from that area, um, we don't really get a lot of dog trainers to come up into this area, especially the western side of Canada. So it's pretty rare, especially somebody like Forrest. So that'll be pretty big, I think, for, for people. Yeah. Um, so come on out, check that out if you're if you're you're located near here i like it. um otherwise yeah if you're if you need any dog training or anything like that too within the calgary area in alberta really i mean we service the whole the whole province for the most part um yeah bring your dog to us call us get in touch with us because you can help and i think i asked you this last time but you're pretty far from toronto right yeah we're like very far from Toronto, like all the way like across the country basically Got it. <laughs> like we're as far from like you're like you're, you you in Ohio are as far yeah. from. It's basically like going to LA for you. It's the oh, same Jesus. distance as LA. Oh God. Yeah. Got it. So it's like across the country. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like really, like 
it's it's kind of a nice thing like and i think yeah. it's kind of what i attribute to our sort of success and like not being so affected by the the downturn in the market is just like where there's so much space between the big cities in yeah. canada yeah, yeah. and the services offered that it's easy to kind of dominate a market and not even dominate a market but just not get flooded out so fast like in yeah, yeah. you know like i have a friend that owns a business in tampa and it's like yeah. there's a billion dog trainers in tampa it's like how do you even like yeah. get a single client it's insane yeah. Versus here, where it's like people will come from all, like even all over the country, really, to train here because it's it's either here, Toronto, or Vancouver. Those are the three options, really. Yeah. So it's it's kind of awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, at some point we got to link up. I'm I'm going to be in exactly. Toronto in March. Um, I uh, the Canine Academy mm-hmm. up in Toronto mm-hmm. is having me up for one of their seminars, and um, cool. I'm going to try to link oh, up cool. with some of the Canadian folk up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's. I was, you do I was seminars? Hoping, what's up? You do you you do seminars like you you yeah. would host a seminar or what? Yeah, I've done. Uh, uh, we don't we don't host seminars uh, really, but uh, I, I'll travel to do them. You know, from time to time, depending. I on mean, you would lead. That's what I meant. Yeah, you would lead a seminar. That's that kind of met. Yeah. Oh, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll maybe do, stay in touch with that because that could be something. We do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do, I don't do a ton of them, but like I've I've got a couple of buddies that have had me you know yeah. come do seminars and stuff like that, and they're a ton of fun. Okay. I like doing them. Um, so I, I just like, I like linking up and training dogs. You know what I mean? I don't even like it to necessarily like this one I'm doing with canine Academy. It's not like, it's like the David, the dog trainer seminar. He's having just like a trainer's seminar and he asked me to just come up and be a part of it, you know? So I'm going to go there. He'll be doing some stuff. I'll be doing some stuff. I'm not sure if he's having anybody else up for it or not. Uh, same with another one I did down in Nashville a long time ago with Tammy McLeod. She had me come down and be a part of her trainer trainer seminar. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's fun. It's just like linking up, sharing different ideas and stuff. It's kind of like, you know, Larry does his like three trainer seminar, you know, series or whatever with like Joel and Jay, right. You get a different taste of, Mm -hmm. of different ideas and stuff like that. And and it's cool, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm always open to something like that. So yeah, yeah. We'll have to maybe set that up because that'd be something I know people would be interested in out here. So absolutely. We'll, We'll stay in touch with that. Hell yeah. I think the only other thing is the next time we do this, it should be in person. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. We'll do it. Yeah. We can do that. Well, with some whiskey or something like that. I was going to say more of this fucking eight in the morning bullshit. I know it's eight in the morning right now. Right. (laughs) Well, it's nine in the morning now, but Jesus Christ. It's only nine in the morning for you right now. Oh shit. It's like noon. It's 10. It's 10 now. No, it's 10 now. Yeah. Now it's 10. I didn't realize how long it's been, but. But still, like, yeah, let's have a whiskey or something in person or just another one of these, but yeah, for sure. We'll make it happen. I'm going to say fly him out here and just give him one of your 64 bottles. Ah! <laughs> Listen, when when he there first started, I like it. He, he had it on the counter in the kitchen, and I would come <laughs> every week. Growing. There was like yeah. two. And finally, uh, his wife was like, you got to put this downstairs. So Because <laughs> like their entire island was just with like bottles of whiskey and bourbon. Yeah. Fuck yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I'm not there yet. No, I don't. I can't keep the bottles long enough. You know, I buy one and I just sit with it and drink it. And then that one's gone and I go buy another one. Yeah. I'm still not like where I'm collecting the bottles yet, but I should start maybe. No, you start trying to catch up to your level. I started trying to like like, do the math on how much I've spent on all of it too. (laughs) And it's just like, no, no, it's it's good. Just do it one at a time like you're doing right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have you uh, have you have you reached out to Ivan yet to do a podcast or not? I haven't reached out again. I reached out to him uh, maybe three four months ago, something like that. And at the time, he was he said he was too busy with his school. Um, I would really like to be able to get him on. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can make it happen. I'll, I'll talk mm-hmm. to him again sometime. So. Yeah, yeah. No, that'd be a good conversation. So yeah, yeah. 
Cool. Awesome, man. Well, same deal. We'll have this up. Uh, I think Monday. I'll sh- I'll share everything with you and stuff. So nice. And we'll. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. So yeah. no, it's awesome. We can share the clips and stuff too. So yeah, Hell we get a lot of we get a lot of good uh, get a lot of good feedback from that and stuff. So yeah, awesome. it's awesome. Dope. All right, man. We'll take care of yourself. Awesome, guys. We'll yeah. uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. We'll, we'll stay you. in touch. Then, okay. Yeah. Take care, guys. We'll see, see you, Josh. See you, David. Yep. See you.